Hello and welcome to episode 786 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, February 26th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by not only Justin Mason, but also Nick Pollock. Gentlemen, good morning. What's up, Justin? Uh, yeah, I- I'm really sad about Luis Severino. I'm just, I, I uh, just, well, I'm just torn up. He seems like a, he seems like a bigger main event draft candidate for you now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's gotta After be. News, he's a sleeper. A he's a sleeper now, right? Yeah. No one expecting yeah, him to do case. anything. He's gotta end up on my team. <laughs> just in case. Nick, good morning. What is happening? Good to see you guys again. Good to see you as well, man. Guys, we're here to talk some pitching. Had to be mm. done. I don't know if you listened or if anyone told you, but uh, we were talking on the Thursday episode, Nick, and we are saying, we're going to have Nick on the Monday episode. He doesn't even know, but he, he's going to be on the Monday <laughs> episode. Uh, but then uh, we decided, you know, Justin's baby was sick. We didn't want to kind of confine ourselves. We actually ended up going a little bit shorter because she did wake up. Um, so we figure... Wednesday episode is the one to do with Nick because uh, we can stretch out a little bit. So this one will be a little bit longer here. Uh, I think we put ourselves on a two-hour time. We'll see. We'll see how long it takes. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. Six-hour pod. Six-hour <laughs> yeah. pod. Justin doesn't want us to leave the call, but, uh, but but Nick and I have things to do. I literally quit my job for this podcast. <laughs> so, no other reason. At last time we left off, we uh, we, were, we were through about forty-five pitchers. You mentioned Luis Severino news. I guess we will talk about that really quickly here. He'd already had some forearm soreness, and now it's gone to the uh, to, to the level that you hate to see when you get forearm soreness, which is Tommy John recommendation. He's done. Season's over. Nick, as far as losing Severino near the as one of the top, uh, you know, twenty twenty five, depending on where you had him ranked, that's an impact at, at starter. But what does it do for the Yankees specifically? I think our boy Jordan Montgomery is now going to have more of a clear path to success. He was going to probably fill in for uh, James Paxton, but now he gets a more long-term role if he succeeds. He himself has been out for a while, but again, I know we both have liked him. Is Montgomery the guy you see taking the long-term role with maybe Lois Siga, Luis Sessa, and whomever else filling in until Paxton's back? Right. So I thought with Montgomery initially that the Yankees would delay him a little bit. He only had about seven innings last season coming back from Tommy John. And given that the Yankees had four starters pretty much locked in, plus the schedule early on generally allows you to skip the fifth rotation spot uh, right out of the gate. And the Yankees have been known to use openers for times as well. Uh, It looked like to me that Jordan Montgomery would be returning more in May than he would be in April. But now he might have to. Uh, and I liked the bear, as I call him, because Jormont, if you guys follow Game of Thrones. Uh, in 2017, he had a 12.5% swing strike rate overall. Uh, with a collection of secondary pitches, changeup, curveball, slider, they all did well. So I like that going into 2018, he got injured, and that was that. I'm really curious to see if he is uh, the same guy. You know, we never really know after this. Been uh, it's been so long. So it's really been three years since we've really mm-hmm. seen Montgomery as we know him. And I'm really curious to see that now if he does get that rotation spot. Yeah, I could see him having a sub four ERA and a decent whip and pushing over a 20% strikeout rate, which is really solid for a winning ball club. Uh, the question is just how many innings are they going to let him have? Because if it's 140, 160, then I mean, he's just coming off of Tommy John. He can't go the full volume of the season, yeah. uh, which is something to take into consideration here. So I originally had him inside my top 80, thought about the pushing back to May. So he was outside of it. Now, I, I mean, I guess I'm in early and then ready to 
you know, it's a short leash essentially for Jordan Montgomery. Yeah. Um, Loisa guy, I, I think he's really good, but not consistent enough. He also isn't uh, very healthy overall. So I don't think the Yankees are really going to push him into a long workload for the season. So I'm kind of, for the most part, out, even though I'm slightly in on Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, George, uh, Justin, with, with Montgomery and Loisiga filling in, that can get them to a certain point to maybe where Paxton's healthy again and maybe even Domingo Herman is back from his suspension. But now with two big injuries here, there's been trade talks kind of swirling around the Yankees. Do you see them going out making a move? And do you, if you do, would it be on the level of like a Matthew Boyd, which would be a substantial move that would cost them something big, maybe a Davey Garcia, or something smaller where they get another J-Hap clone type, whether it's a righty or lefty, but but in that realm. like Where do you see this trade uh, potentially happening if it does? And are you even bought in that they would look to trade this early in the season? I don't know if they're going to look to trade this early in the season or make a move kind of towards the trade deadline, but I think they will make a move at some point. Uh, and I think it will be for a Matt Boyd type pitcher. Uh, I think the Jordan Montgomery fill-in is just that, a fill-in. I you can't ima- I can't imagine they're going to make him throw 140 innings coming off of uh returning from Tommy John and like Nick said I mean he threw 7 and 2 thirds last year uh so I I can't imagine they force him to make that kind of jump uh in terms of total innings so you you, you kind of ride him for right now wait for Paxton to get back uh wait for Herman to get back and then you make a big push uh, because the AL's loaded, and you don't want to be a wild card. So you, you want mm-hmm. to win that division. Uh, and so while I think everybody still considers them a contender and a contender for that division, I think they will make a move. I think the Garrett Cole signing, it it shows that this is a team that wants to go back to the old days of the Yankees, which means buying championships, bringing in the best talent possible. So uh, I yeah, They're setting their... their- you know that sets their path. That sets yeah. what what they want. It's been a while. They've got the talent. It is crazy though that they're already dealing with a rash of injuries again. You know, I was one talking this winter with with a Yankees fan friend of mine. Like, well, you know, you guys can't have the same injury luck of last year. Like that should that should definitely improve just by uh, by virtue of the fact that it was a historically bad season. And now they've already had two big legs chopped out from under them. In a way, it's worse. Staff. Like there, there's, yep. I mean, at least, at least they just well, had, they had a more difficult to replace and they had a ton of depth in that lineup. I mean, you had mm-hmm. like guys, they like, they couldn't, they still couldn't fit guys into their everyday lineup that had a ton of talent. They still you know? can't. Yeah. I mean, currently, so. currently there's some concern that, that, you know, where's Miguel Andahar going to play? Is, is Mike Talkman going to be an everyday guy? So the, they've got depth for days. Um, offensively but pitching's you know you can there's the adage you can never have too much pitching and it's absolutely true and they're already dipping in with Montgomery and Loisiga so we'll see what kind of moves that they make they could bring uh, up Debbie Garcia draft like that's, that they could bring up Debbie Garcia midseason too so like that's that's sure. an option if they don't like the prices on the open market uh but mm-hmm. i think we've seen in the last few years there's going to be a lot more selling teams than there's going to be competing teams and so the prices maybe won't be as astronomical as we've seen in years past. Uh, so 
I mean, I think they should go out and get someone now. Like, don't fall behind the Rays in a race. You know, it, don't don't even risk it. So, I think they should go get Boyd now. I don't know that they're going to do that, um, but I think they definitely go get someone at some point. As a Tigers fan, I would like that too <laughs> because they've be really got fun. prospects to offer. Um, all right, so that's that's Luis Severino. Take him off your board, James Paxton. You've already moved him down for his injury. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, move up for short term, and same with Lois Sega. But be careful with both of them. I agree. That's a great call out. Nick, that we don't know how far they can go. So if you're planning for the April-May portion of your season, which you really should be, you shouldn't be focused too much on the six-month grind when you're at the draft table because you right. have no idea how it's going to turn out. So either of them could make an interesting early play with the idea that you'd have to attack uh, your waiver wires perhaps later on. All right, guys, let's get back into the starting pitcher rankings here. We left off last time around 45, and it is subject to change, but we're just kind of keeping up with the guys that, uh, that that we've crossed off here. But if you want to kind of follow along, you can go to the ADP for the NFBC website. That's Average Draft Position for the National Fantasy Baseball Championship. I'll leave a link in the notes. Click online under um, where it says all drafts. Go to online. Change the date to February 1st, 2020 to today's date, which is the 26th when this is being recorded. Switch to pitchers, and then you're you're pretty much looking at what we, we're at. we've got. Obviously, there's been some ups and downs, but we're starting at 46th, which is about Sean Manaya. So we got Manaya, Price, Maeda, McCullers, and Marquez. So we're not grouping them into uh, you know types anymore. It's just five at a time. So you're getting a lot of differences here. You get somebody like. Manaya, who had that little flash last year that's got everyone excited. You got some crusty veterans like David Price. You got Lance McCullers coming back from Tommy John. We'll see what he can do. And you got, of course, Marquez always lingering there with tons of talent and a terrible home park. Let's get him. In. I'd rather have him in Yankee Stadium. Uh, that would be pretty interesting, too. Oh, that would maybe, be. Maybe they can trade for him. But oh. you know the Rockies would bumble it. They, no. they would have no idea what they're doing. Uh, Nick, I want to start with you, and I want to start with Price instead of Manaya, because I know you're a big Price guy, mm-hmm. and I think you recently drafted him in TGFBI. Going over to LA, knowing what Dodgeritis is all about, as you call it, and I, I think it's a perfect name for it, which maneuvering all their starters in and out all the time, leveraging the IL, although that's different this year with a 15-day. How do you think Price is going to fare with the Dodgers? So I actually think that uh, so I have Dodger Rice because, yeah, they have so many guys and they have this uh, so many injured guys that they want to manipulate. Manaya, uh, sorry, Maeda's contract before you had Ryu that would always get hurt. I uh, had Rich Hill who always get hurt. And I think it's a little bit different right now. I mean, you have Kershaw who whenever he's healthy, he's going to go. Bueller, he's just gone. Go fly. And I kind of feel with Price, too, that they got him to say, hey, as long as you're healthy and not playing Fortnite, then you're going to go and you're going to be great. So I, I'm not going to pin him down for 200 innings, but it, to say that he's capped because he's a Dodger, I don't want to say that. I'm not saying that you're saying that, yeah. but I would, some people might have that mindset. I don't know. Really you got to be careful of, of assuming that because I agree because I actually think Bueller might not really face a cap this year either. And I think people right, still yeah. think because he's a homegrown uh, Dodger, they'll definitely cap him. I think he's got an opportunity to go to not to change it to a Bueller discussion, but I agree with you. Don't just assume that every Dodger has this massive cap, but but look at it through the prism of the Dodgers. But I agree if if Price is healthy, why wouldn't they let him push 180 to 200? 
Exactly. You know? So yeah, and Bueller went 180 last year. So honestly, yep. I don't really see why they can't do that. Uh, so there was also really, if I remember correctly, there was a moment last year where the Dodgers were being investigated for manipulating the uh, the DL time or the IL time. Yep. So with that also in mind, maybe what we think of Dodgeritis is going to be a little bit different with them not giving this the skip starts and everything like that. So if you take that all into account, uh, David Price had a bit of a bounce back season last year, even despite the the whip change. In the sense that his swing strike rate went up to 11% plus finally after being sub 10% in 2018, 28% strikeout rate as well. And he was really cruising through the first three months. I mean, it was like a three ERA, 10 plus K per nine, uh, sub 115 whip. It was glorious. And then he essentially had four starts with the hurt wrist, and that was a season. Um, that led to a 428 ERA, 131 whip. And it was bad. And it's. I just want to think that Price, a healthy one in L.A., with, again, a winning ball club that will let him go and do his thing. I see a really solid season here ahead, uh, easily sub for ERA. Um, and I would say, honestly, I would project him closer to like a 3-7, 3-6 ERA. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to expect that, but I don't see why he can't do that. Uh, with a sub-120 whip, uh, with a strikeout rate about 24-25%. Very attainable with 170 innings, and hopefully he can fly and not be hurt. So I'm in on Price this year. Me too. I have a hard time ever really quitting Price. I've, I've been a fan for so long, and uh, I continue to see the talent there. Justin, how do you feel about David Price going out to L.A.? Do you share mine and Nick's uh, excitement, especially at the Price, or are you, uh, are, are you going a different way with Price? Uh, I'm somewhat ambivalent. I, I mean, I, I've seen him drop in drafts where, uh, I go, okay, that, that the price is right. Um, but I'm also not like, I'm not jumping his ADP a ton. I, I ranked him kind of right in this tier, uh, of yeah. guys that we're talking about. Uh, I have him right below Sean Manaya uh, at, uh, Pitcher number 48, though, that's going to rise up with Severino coming off the board, obviously. Uh, that is kind of perfect, though, because Manaya is actually just just ahead of him yeah. on, on the ADP as well. So uh, I, I agree with you guys. I think as long as he's healthy, uh, there's no reason the Dodgers are going to play games with him. Uh, I like the move to the National League uh, where pitch, or, uh, hitters haven't seen him before. Uh, you know, moving to the NL West uh, away from the AL East is great. So yeah, or, uh, Price is a guy that I think I've already got a share of, and I'm just going to kind of pop on him when I feel like the price is, is fair or right, um, because he's one of those guys where people, I think, look at him as just an old dude who gets hurt too often, and mm -hmm. there are going to be drafts where people just avoid him. And in those cases, I agree. I'm more than happy to, to, to take a share, especially if I'm getting him as like an SP4, SP5. Those, so, those won't be the drafts with, with Nick and I. We, we, will not, uh, yeah. we will not let him linger Thankfully, out there. I don't have any drafts with you guys this year. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually looking forward to the draft with you um, in, uh, in Tau Wars. Can't wait. Um, Can't wait. But I, yeah, right. It's going to be great. Now, a couple more things really quickly on price. Four-seamer was so good last year. 58% zone rate, um, which is the highest he's had since 2015. Also with 11.6% swing strike rate on that fastball. A ton of whiffs inside the zone with a... Uh, with a 30% plus whiff rate, uh, sorry, 23% uh, whiff rate inside the zone, so Z contact, which is kind of crazy. Uh, and you don't really expect that from Price, who's not carrying the same kind of velocity that he used to have. Sinker was not good, 
And that's that could go away. I mean, everyone stopped throwing sinkers really and the Red Sox kind of still do, but I think the Dodgers will move away from that. Um, they have a massive analytics crew as well. And I would think they say, Hey, this sinker, not good. Let's not do that anymore. Meanwhile, his changeup was a money pitch, 19% swing strike rate, 41% zone rate, 44% O swing, but had a negative four P val. So it had mistakes and it got capitalized on. And I do wonder, well, what if, you know, those were just a, a handful of really bad pitches in there. Yep. This could be fixed. I mean, get rid of the sinker. You improve the change up a bit, which should have better results. This and, is a really good price now. And I know we 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 hold Boston in esteem as as an organization that kind of knows what they're doing. But I think we hold the Dodgers in higher esteem as yes. far as coaching and and everything goes with that. So if there are tweaks for Price, I think he's in better hands now uh, with the Dodgers than the Red Sox. So. Yeah, you know, I've already said I'm not quitting him. Nick, you're not. Justin, you're in the right price range there based on your ranking. So we're all ready to go for price. And uh, I don't think there's going to be drafts where he really gets pushed up because of ageism. A simple fact is fantasy baseball has ageism. A 34-year-old coming off a season where he only threw 107 innings has a cap on how high he can go. So we'll be ready to jump. I think we'll all end up with shares by the end of the season. Let's shift to the guy who's just ahead of him in ADP. That is Sean Manaya, who is perpetually injured it seems but he came back last year and looked really sharp i was really uh i was really impressed by by what he did last year it's only 29 and two-thirds but a 28 percent strikeout rate continued with his quality walk rates of six percent which is right in line with his career now his uh Babbitt was non-existent 194 that's not going to happen again and his left on base rate was literally 100 percent. so he was working at not, his not at sustainable his there not sustainable <laughs> not sustainable i would works 100 of the time i'll tell you what, you what i'll tell you what i would put uh i would put tim anderson and fernando tatis's babips as more sustainable than <laughs> sean Manaya's, uh by by a long shot even so so obviously the 121 era was uh was Perfect world scenario, but even a 342 FIP against that tells you where the core skills were. My question, Justin, for you with Sean Manaya is: Was that were those strikeout gains real? Because we didn't really see a major swinging strike rate jump. It was at a career high of 12 percent, but that's not really the shorthand is usually swinging strike rate times two. Sometimes upwards of 2.5 can get you an idea of a strikeout rate. I didn't see a whole lot. I saw a lower velo and a and a solid but not elite swinging strike rate, yielding a 28% strikeout rate. Do you buy that from Anaya in that little 30-inning sample, or is he going to come back down to his career averages? I don't know that he's going to come back down to his career averages, uh, but I don't know that he can sustain the strikeout per inning that we saw last year. Uh, not only is that velo down, uh, and we'll have to see where he's at in spring, and maybe, it, maybe it's you know back getting you know trending closer to where he was, prior to the injury, but the the spin rate was in the third percentile on his fastball last year. A bit scary to me. Uh, Swing and strike rate, obviously uh, kind of in line with his career norms, decent O-swing, but I don't know, a guy who is consistently injured and... Uh, like you said, <laughs> the the BABIP and, and the left on base percentage uh, rates obviously unsustainable. I think there's going to be obvious regression coming off of that 29 innings. And the A's rotation, very similar to the Dodgers rotation, has some depth. 
So how many innings can he get? Are they going to jump him? You know, most of the projection systems have him throwing 150 or up uh, outside of Zips, which is very, very conservative on him. Uh, What happens when he starts throwing those innings? Are they going to baby him? Are they going to, you know, use guys like Puck and Lazardo and Bassett to kind of help kind of keep down those innings? A lot of question marks. I think the ceiling is sky high and the floor is, is really, really low. And so that's kind of why I rode the fence and put him at uh, like 47, I think. Uh, 46 now, like I said, with uh, uh, with Severino out. I will say in this particular instance, I had Manaya pretty low. I had him 61 in my latest, uh, my last update. My new one will be out this week. I didn't, wasn't able to finish it for today for uh, to have both of ours up. He's moving up a little bit, but not quite to his ADP. So I'm a little bit nervous on on what's going on with Manaya. I do think, though, at age 28, with multiple 150 inning seasons under his belt, that they'll let him go as long as he can go. It's just a matter of how long is that. I don't think that they're necessarily going to uh, be very touchy with Manaya and take him in and out of the rotation. I think it's going to be a set it and you can go as long as you can, but a little bit uh, nervous exactly how long that's going to last. Nick, let's shift over to you with Manaya. Looking at the projections, most of them, if you kind of add them all up, we're looking at like a low fours with a mid one twos whip, uh, something in the 124 to 126 range and a low four ZRA. Does that sit right with you uh, along with the strikeout rate uh, jumping down back toward his career? Or do you see him building on anything from those 29 and two thirds of last year? So I don't see that he's a low fours guy. I see him more as a high threes um, with opportunity as, as Mason mentioned to, to go farther than that. But, um, I mean, it's funny. I remember actually when he came up and Fulmer came up pretty much like the same exact time. And we were ecstatic. You know, the, as we often get highly touted prospects coming up, big impact. We expect these guys to be ready to be a number one, number two, you know, on mm-hmm. the next day or something like that. And I don't know if I really ever see that from Manaya. I Yes, he had a 27% K But he has a no-hitter. No, yeah, he has a no-hitter. That was cool. That was really Boston. cool. Yeah. That was great. I enjoyed it. I. Uh, but uh, it was really weird last year. And this small sample, uh, his four-seamer performed oddly. Uh, as you mentioned, Spore, his velocity went down a full tick. And zone rate on his four-seamer 2018 was 62%. He brought that down to just 54% in the sample. However, swing strike rate on it went up three full ticks to 9% from 6%. So that that's kind of interesting. I wonder what changed there despite the lower velocity that he was able to do that. Um, O-swing was actually a little bit worse, if anything. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure how he was able to miss more bats inside the zone um, with that fast one. You were talking also about the spin rate going down. Well, maybe that was part of it. Um, essentially, with spin rates on, on fastballs, you want to be really high or really low. Essentially, on low, and then you essentially miss underneath bats a bit. Then high, you miss above them. So maybe there is something to that. Uh, I don't really buy into Manaya's approach overall, just mechanically speaking. Uh, how he's a sidewinder and in general that speaks less to fastball command and dotting the spots you want around the zone if you watch him pitch you can kind of see that he gets it into the zone like he like heaves it into the zone almost and it's less of like a laser going to the spot that you want it to be actually you watch luzardo and you feel much more confident okay he's going to put it where he wants to while manai is just kind of in the general area uh slider changeup, either one i think could take another step forward uh, we haven't really seen either one become like an elite pitch, but they're both good. They're both offerings that I feel confident in. 
and I think just the the overall package is good enough that I don't think like he's going to ever really fall down far. But it doesn't really speak either to a guy that can take massive leaps to become a legit starter. And especially with the durability you guys are talking about, yeah, it's hard to really expect more than 160 innings from Manaya. So all that combined, actually, I had him in mid-40s in my initial rankings about a couple of weeks ago. And I find myself in drafts thinking, you know what, maybe I am slightly too high on Manaya. And uh, I found myself steering a little bit away from him at the moment. Yeah, so again, I think that's kind of where I'm at, where I, based on my ranking, I'm not even really getting him. Um, Justin, do you have Manaya anywhere? Because like I said, you are pretty much in market range with ADP and your ranking has has he wound up on any of your clubs yet? No, and I don't I don't know that he will. I, especially when you start talking about you, other guys in this tier. Uh, yeah, you'd bypass him. Yeah, I, I end up jumping up Maeda. I end up jumping up Minor, Andrew Heaney, Luke Weaver, uh, Fulton Evich, You know, guys that are going around him or behind him over him. So, uh, and he probably should drop a little bit in my ranks as well. So. Uh, yeah. Would we would we all take price? Yes. Okay. Mm. Right, Justin Mason. <laughs> Mason. Uh, I <laughs> think it depends on what kind of team I'm building. Uh, I think price what is much. Would, would Manaya have over price? I think he has a bit higher upside. Uh, if if you know if the spin rate comes up, uh, but. I, I, price is much safer in my opinion. So, which is a weird thing to say, dude, coming off of a hundred innings. Uh, but I, you know, better team behind him, National League. So, yeah, I probably would lean price in most in most most drafts. Are you on mute, Paul? No, I'm here. <laughs> Peel back the curtain, guys. I'm balancing two things at once here. I'm sorry. Uh, You're doing great. And of course, I got I got leaving it in. Right. Yeah, leaving it. In. That's fine. I got I got questioned on the uh, on the meeting right as uh, right as you were talking there. So um, you can either repeat the Manaya thing, or, or I can move on. Yeah, just go ahead and move on. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Literally, right as you're doing, that I'm was like, a great uh, point. It's beautiful because yeah, usually. Peeling back the curtain a little bit. Usually, Paul and I do not have our uh, our cameras on when we record, yeah, but Nick's but Nick's around. We Nick has to have the cameras on because he, yeah, like which means I have to put clothes on and stuff. And we had to move staff meeting to today, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I'm, I've got both in each year. And like mm-hmm. literally, right as you were saying something to me, uh, they were asking me about something. So I'm like, okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're gonna move on then. So Price and Manaya covered them we got Maeda McCullers Marquez Nick I'll ask you for your favorite of those three uh Maeda easily all right it's not Talk to us about Maeda in Minnesota I personally think rains off yeah I, I, I think so I, too I, I think that they're I, I've had some people suggest that you know they're gonna do just the same thing with the with the manipulation at the end of the season and I don't think that they're necessarily going to be in a position to do so. That's for one, the point. But I also just don't think that that's I, – I don't think that they're going to do that personally. Right. Maybe I'm just hoping. Maybe it's wish casting. But I think he's going to be allowed to push more of a 180-type season. So so there are two things here. Uh, one, exactly what you're mentioning. And uh, there is some chance, but I'm not really considering it as a viable option, um, that the Twins get into such a good situation. It's September 5th, and they're like, hey, we're like – 10 games, 12 games ahead in the central. You know what, Maeda, we don't want to really pay you 500K. We're just going to not. 
if they had a big lead, that's that's a good call, right? Yes, yes, yes. That's a I, good I could call see out. that, but at that point, if if we're there, then here he has what 180 innings in the books or so. So fine, then I'm okay with that. Um, maybe 175, but it's still again fine. Now with Maeda, one of the issues I think too that we kind of overlooked with the Dodgers, it wasn't necessarily him starting. It was also that they would pull him after two times to the lineup. Yes. And yes, the, the Twins did this with Oda Rizzi last year, so maybe that could apply to Maeda. At the same time, the uh, the repertoire of Maeda speaks more to be able to go through three times to the lineup. It always drove me nuts that they would do this because Maeda has two secondary pitches that are fantastic in that changeup and slider. And typically when you see guys getting pulled early, it's because they're just a two-pitch from fastball to a secondary pitch. But if you have two secondary pitches that work, this should not apply. So I really do think that the Dodgers didn't give him enough of a chance to prove mm-hmm. that he could go third time through the lineup. So you'll see, you should see more innings earlier on in the season before all that inning cap stuff from Maeda. I don't see the Twins saying, oh, you know what, we're going to do the third time through the lineup thing as a way to hold back your contract. That doesn't fly with me at all. They also got $10 million in that deal, too. You would hope they would save a million or something like that. A little bit to, to cover. To that, you know, A little right? bit of a Maeda fund for the rainy day there. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. That, so, that would be nice. So 14.5% swing strike rate overall for Maeda's repertoire. I mean, 27% K rate is I should be expected. That's been the mm-hmm. average of the last three years that he's had. So I'm excited about this. I think also in the AL Central, being on the Twins winning club and not facing the Twins is great. So I, I'm very much in there is the White, so- White Sox right now, I think, because Cleveland's lineup right. is not yeah. bad. Like they're, they're they're an okay lineup, but they don't scare me. The White Sox one is the only one that potentially scares me in division. And then of course, agree, to get yeah. Tigers and and Royals all day long. That's fantastic. So I agree with you. Maeda is my easy favorite of the Maeda McCullers Marquez trio that's still here. Um, I know Justin, you share the excitement. We were very excited to take him in labor. So I'll ask you between the other two then McCullers Marquez. Where do you lean? Do you go with the guy coming back off injury who's you can't really project for more than a buck twenty? Or do you take somebody like Marquez who can be great, but you almost have to only pitch him for about a hundred and you know hundred plus innings because you can only really use his road starts. So they're almost kind of equal there if you're going to play the uh, the the streaming game with Marquez as opposed to letting him just ride it out in cores. It's funny you say that they're almost equal because uh, I have them like two spots away from each other in my ranks at, at fifty six and fifty eight. Uh, because of those exact two things, no idea how many innings we're gonna get from McCullers. Uh, like if if you go and look at his projected innings um, over on his Fangraphs page, uh, it's it's a joke. Like I I don't understand how four of the five projection systems have him throwing more innings than he's ever thrown in an entire season in the majors. I, I'm I'm shook by that. I gotta be honest. Yeah. So nice I don't. And I, I love McCullers. Said, 120 yeah. innings. Yeah. I'm going 120, and anything from there. I'd even be shocked at 120. Bonus. He's only gone over 120 once since 2015. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, 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 would be, I would be shocked at 120. It'll be a good 120, I think. He looks great yeah. in all the videos and things I've seen. Uh, but I still lean... Uh, Herman, you can you can use the road starts, spot him at home. 
uh, and just pray and hope for the best. <laughs> and then there's the chance that if the Rockies do really decide to tear it all down, that he ends up somewhere else because he's got to be God, their second best tradable asset. Uh, and any any move, any move gets him into a better uh, location for him. Uh, especially yep. if he ends up on someplace like the Yankees, that would be amazing. Uh, I mean, that'd be wild. If they could trade him and Gray, please. I know mm-hmm. we're asking a, a team that can never cultivate pitching to trade their two best pitchers, but we're we're greedy fantasy players. We want can can they just trade somewhere. Arenado, Gray, and Marquez to St. Louis? Like in just the a Tigers for Matthew Boyd. <laughs> for for uh, Matthew Boyd. So, <laughs> no, I mean, don't ruin my Matthew thing. Boyd shares. Hey, <laughs> we'll throw in CJ Crone. Here's the thing about trading away uh, pitchers from the Rockies. As an organization, they're not going to ever sign pitchers because exactly. no one will want to. So I, yep. as much as That's I want them to really do this, they're, yeah, they're never going to do it because they have to trade for pitching, if anything. Yep. And then sign hitters. That just has to be how they run their organization, yeah, unfortunately. No. And, 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 and they're you're, not. You're right. And that's. They've, they've got them locked up through 2023, too. Like, so it's plus a, a 20, uh, 24 option. So, like, yeah, he's probably not being traded. That being said, uh, like I said, I, you can still throw him on the road and uh, and then kind of spot him at home. So let me ask you guys, okay? So, you know, we're in TGFBI right now, and, um, you know, NFBC stuff is, is continuing on throughout the year. But, but any league, really, let's say – the 15 team and deeper, though, because 12, I think it's easier to do it. But 15 teams and deeper. Do you just use Marquez as a half guy for the most part and say, I'm really only going to take all road starts and then judiciously with the home starts? Do you draft him at that point to be a half pitcher? I don't. Uh, I'm trying to find the right term for it. I think what I've come up for right now is calling them a McPain, um, where it's like McCullers, where you're getting half of a year. And you don't even know when you're going to get all of it Um, because like McCullough is like, are they going to slow him down? Are they going to just do a hard stop? Probably not. Yeah. What if these guys are in June and July as a bullpen guy so that they have him for the stretch? And do I drop him now? Do I not? And Mm -hmm. I feel like even with Marquez doing the road stuff, I mean, he's not just going to be an ace necessarily on the road either. It's going to be good, but there are going to be times when he doesn't perform well. And then you're going to have to deal with this guy that's McPain. You know, he wants him to be a big bane, but he's never going to be that dope. <laughs> yep, his, his margin for error on the road is nil. Right. And, you know, he had a 367 ERA there last year, which is fine. But if you took any of the home starts with it, then you were getting somebody in the mid-fours pretty much because he had a 626 at home. So unless you picked the perfect few home starts where it went well for Marquez, that was bad. .94 whip and 91 strikeouts in 102 thirds. He, he actually had a sub strikeout per inning uh, rate on the road for Marquez. So if you are going to use him that way, you need to assess what kind of pitcher he actually is. And it's tough to really do that. Surely he can get better at home, but I I mean, this is exactly why I didn't want him last year though, was because no one beats that park. He's a dang good pitcher. Marquez is, but even he with his excellent stuff had a dang near 400 Babip at home. Like he yeah. got he got blistered uh, because Coors Field is insane. Uh, Justin, what about you? Do you use him as a straight road guy with with sprinkling in home starts, or do you try to get the full innings there and just take on the full thing? Uh, 
I think it depends on what my team construct is. Uh, I think this year you good point. I mean, this year you can afford to use him on the road and then sprinkle in you know, a few home starts here and there because he's going at what like one eighty four. So like that at that point, yeah, sure, why not? He's your like yeah. sixth starting pitcher or something like that. Uh, last year you couldn't. Last year you had to start him because chances are, depending on where you took him, uh, he was like your second or third starting pitcher. So uh, I think the fact that the price has dropped considerably uh, it gives mm-hmm. him an opportunity and gives you an opportunity as a fantasy owner to kind of just pick your spots with him. And I think that's okay. No, that that was the that was the tough part is that it cost so much last year. Well, and you really ate so have. many you ate so many of those bad starts because of the hot start. Mm-hmm. He started off so hot and people were so psyched that people just kept running him out there thinking, "Oh, well, this is a blip in the radar." And by the time like you realized, "Oh no, this is now a thing." Uh if you if you were a Marquez believer last year, uh he crushed you. You know, your ERA and whip yep. hurt. So, yeah. Well, it didn't though. 120 whip and 24% K rate. And that's I know I was so shocked when I saw that 120 whip. And that's kind it's of so good weird. on the road. Right, I get and I mean it, the real thing about Herman is that all of a sudden his slider which was a about a 150 batting average allowed in 2018 was a near 300 batting average allowed in 2019. That's the difference in in the two guys and really when we saw the transformation in 2018 it was that slider all of a sudden becoming an effective two strike weapon. And he mm. loved it. And then last year he threw it in the zone a ton. And it wasn't nearly as good. And it got clobbered. So I, I wonder maybe he does get that back. And he becomes more immune to cores. Uh, it's why I didn't just completely throw him away in my rankings. But I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. He, he's, he's... I mean, part of it was the home run rate went up. Uh, especially on the uh, on the, on the the road. That's... Uh, was a little bit troublesome too. So, yeah, I mean, if he can get that slider working well, especially at home, then he can be a better pitcher. I just don't know if you're ever going to be able to trust it consistently. Right. Yeah. I don't think I'll end up with any Marquez shares again. I'll get a share. Uh, I'll get a share too, just because the strikeouts at least there. Again, the price is a lot more fair this year. So if he gets better at home at all, We've got a very useful pitcher still, even even with the uh, with the lingering course field there for Marquez. Uh, all right, now next fifty one through fifty five, we've got Mike Miner, Carlos Martinez, Jake Odorizzi, Luke Weaver, Andrew Heaney. Let's start with Miner. So Miner, like Lance Lynn, uh, became a part of a really dynamic one two punch there for Texas, and he kind of started his his ascent in late eighteen. The second half of 18 was really nice for Miner. So it isn't just this year. Um, it's about a year and a half. In fact, even if you just add up 18 and 19 together, it's really good. In a 418, 112 ERA whip combo in 18 for Mike Miner. But again, big second half. Except now in ADP, he's kind of diverged a bit from Lynn. Seems the confidence is really more with Lynn. Justin, I'll start with you. Do you see a big difference between those two? Uh, where, where you lean toward Lynn, or Lynn and Miner pretty close for you. And if you do see that big divergence, uh, what are your thoughts on Miner? Uh, I don't see a huge divergence. I mean, there's definitely some. I've got them 10 spots away from each other in my ranks. I've got Lynn at 25 and Miner at 35. So there's obviously some difference for me. 
but, but you're still way ahead of the market then because we're, yeah. we're at 51 here with minor yeah uh i mean i i believe in what minor has done and the fact that he threw 200 innings uh last year got got 200 strikeouts because he is a smart yeah. baseball player apparently <laughs> 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 with no shame uh i i I mean, I think this is a huge buying opportunity. I think he's going way too late in drafts. Uh, like we talked about last episode uh, that you and I did together uh, before you p- uh, committed Pod Altry, um, <laughs> that uh, the new park should be uh, a little bit more neutral than the previous one, considering it's inside. Uh, dimensions are very similar, but it won't be dealing with the heat and the jet streams. So I... I got, th- but all the projection systems have him, his home run rate, you know, shooting up uh, from one three to like one, you know, four five or one five five uh, from a couple of them. I I disagree. I think he should be, you know, fairly stable at like you know one two five kind of home run rate uh, in the new park, which means he's a guy that should be able to be like a three seven ERA guy uh, next year. So. Or the, this year, and you know, a one-two-five kind of whip, and uh, a boatload of strikeouts, boatload of innings, and you're getting him super well, much later than I think you should be. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that on Miner. Uh, Nick, do you share our confidence in Mike Miner, especially at the price where he's at right here, um, coming on the Maybe. heels of the big 2019? Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. I uh, I mean, a lot of guys are weird, but. It's really two pitches. Uh, Miner's slider is not good. He got hammered a ton. And curveball, we shouldn't even talk about that thing. So it's just changeup and, and four seamers. And changeups, well, it had a 51% zone rate, yet a 16% swing strike rate. And I talked about it a bit with Giolito, that Giolito had a ridiculous zone rate on his changeup, well past 50%, and had whiffs too. And it's not something we typically see a lot. Um, and I do worry a bit that the pitch is going to take a step back. I mean, it was a 22-plus PVAL last year after never being above 7 in the past. It really took a different shape last year, and I don't think it's going to be that good. It's still going to be a good pitch. It's just not going to be so overwhelmingly good. And his fastball, well, it was much better, but it's still not incredible. Uh, 9% swing strike rate, 57% zone rate, 21% O swing. He got more whiffs inside uh, the zone than ever before, but mm-hmm. I don't know if that's that sustainable. Um, and maybe it is, and that would be a great value then, because then exactly what you were saying, Mason, then he could do like a 3-7 or something like that. Maybe hint at 200 strikeouts again, but also health hasn't always been there for minor. It has been recently, True. but you know this is the first time he really got pushed this much, uh, and we don't really know if that will stick around either. Uh, between minor and Lynn, I really do believe more in Lynn's fastball. His four-seamer is incredible, Missing plenty more bats inside the zone, um, and he just pounded it endlessly, and guys just couldn't do anything with it. Not to mention, uh, Lynn's cutter is really good, too. It's not like it's just that fastball. It didn't allow a single home run in over 550 thrown last year. So between that, I mean, I think there is a major separation there, and I, I do trust the durability of Lynn a bit more, too. I, I'm in on minor if he continues to fall. I've seen him go past the 60th starter at times. And I'm definitely in at that price. He's not necessarily the guy I'm targeting in this range, though. I think there are a couple others that I feel a little bit more safe with. 
Yeah, in this in this five pack, uh, he's not necessarily my number one guy, um, but but I, I do like Miner as well. And if we can see some improvement from that slider, that could really give us a lot more confidence in what he's able to do. But it, you know, it got beat around the yard last year and a 376 BABIP and 310 average, so it it was it was tough sledding there, which like you said, kind of made him a more of a four seam changeup type of guy for Miner. There is the Jeff Mathis factor though, and he's still with Texas. And uh, they do have Torinos, but they're going to let I, – I, I wonder what they're going to do because, you know, now they have Kluber, Kyle Gibson, and, of course, the young guy, Colby Allard, I think is the uh, the presumed fifth starter right now for Texas. And I wonder are they going to – you know, how, how are they going to use Mathis? He can't be in every – oh, actually, they have Jordan Lazo, excuse me, uh, Allard's the sixth starter. How are they going to – dispatch Mathis are they going to keep him with the two guys he worked well with last year Lane and Miner are they going to let him work with uh, some of the new guys I don't know but he's not an everyday starter he's just so dreadful with the bat I am eager to see how they uh, how they dispense the uh, the starts of Mathis that they're going to use this year um, all right let's move on We've got Martinez Odorizzi Weaver Heaney here Justin calm down we'll let you talk about Andrew Heaney in a moment but Carlos <laughs> Martinez stretching out as a starter again and uh, it looks like that's the path that they're going to take for now. So, Justin, where does he land on your board now? Because, honestly, until very recently, we were still in kind of that hybrid of, like, he could close, he could start. We don't really know. Now it's looking like starting role for Martinez. How do you deal with Carlos Martinez this year? Ooh, I have him at 52. I really want to move him up, but I'm having a hard time jumping him up very high. Uh, I've been a big Carlos Martinez guy for a long time. I think he's one of the few guys that you're getting in this kind of, you know, post, you know, starting pitcher 50 range that could be like a top 15 guy by the end of the season if, if things go right for him. Uh, and he's shown that ability in the past. Uh, and I think the projection systems unfairly punish him uh, a little bit. Uh, because he relieved so much last year. The question is, what kind of innings totals can we get from him? ATC and Zips are very, very skeptical of his innings total, but I wonder if that has more to do with the fact they didn't know whether he'd be starting or relieving and if, if those will jump up. Uh, it's kind of where everybody else is. Uh, I think we could get like 175 uh, innings of, you know, like a mid to like 3.3 type ERA. Uh, and a strikeout rate that is pretty impressive, you know, 26, 27%. You know, that to me seems like a guy that can really make a jump. It's a good park. It's uh, a pretty decent team. So I I like Carlos Martinez a lot. I've always been a fan. I agree that the one thing I think, I'm not getting hung up on the 48 innings of, of relief last year. He's 28 years old. He's he's had 200 inning seasons before, or one and a, and a 195. Those are essentially both 200 inning seasons. I don't think he's going to be babied. If he's healthy and ready to go, he's going to get a full workload. So I'm not worried about the innings from a standpoint of them not letting him. It's his own general health concerns that are always going to be there with Carlos Martinez. Nick, now that now that Martinez is set, did you rank him initially? Yeah, I, I essentially assumed from the get go that he was going to start. Yeah, because it, it seemed like why wouldn't they give him a shot? So wh- where right. where did you have Martinez? Right? I actually have Martinez inside the top forty. Yes. Okay, so talk to us about uh, about your Martinez love because I mean, that's yeah Mason, that's really interesting. Mason, you just you just mentioned that you could see a three thirty season. I mean, 
we're talking about a lot of guys that were like hoping for a three eight or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I have keep it under four with these guys. Right. And I have him Artino, so low as a hedge in cha- you know in case he relieved that that's why I have him right. so low. He's gonna jump I, up I my next race because I didn't. Know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I totally understand it. Look, on the other ago. side of it, on the other side of this, I still ranked Severino as if he was fully healthy. So you know, it goes both yeah. ways here. So, <laughs> uh, and same with Carrasco. I I mean that's a completely different issue, but whatever. I uh, with Martinez, it might surprise you to know that since uh, since 2014. Martinez has never had worse than a three six four ERA. Uh, yes, it does include his relief time, and he had that 2018 season where he missed a month and then came back as a reliever. Which, by the way, so you see 119 innings, you think, oh man, that was wow. He didn't. He got really hurt or something. No, no, no. He would have had like 170 innings or 60 innings, but then they just shifted him to relief mm-hmm. uh, for that second half of the year. So he only really missed like three to four weeks. Um, with Martinez, it's it might be a little weird with the walk rate. We saw the 11% plus in 2018. Even as a starter, it was even higher than that. I mean, he was having ridiculous starts of like six, seven, five walks or whatever. Uh, and I don't know if we're going to see the same 8% that we saw. where He just hovered really right in that mid 8 to 9% for three straight years. But Carlos Martinez, it, like, it will be a 23% plus strikeout rate. He has an incredible changeup, incredible slider. Uh, he even added a cutter that was having effectiveness too. It's a really good repertoire. He throws upper 90s when he wants to, but as a starter, he can throw 93, 94 easily. This mm-hmm. is great. And the Cardinals also are in a position now where they are like, okay, do you, can we win the Central? We still think we are. We're the Cardinals. We're going to do this. Yeah. So you have Flaherty. Fine. He's going to go do his thing. And then, um, well, uh, nothing. They have nothing, okay? It's like Dakota. That's I'm, it, yeah. It and really so, thins out, and that's, again, why I think not only just his historical record, but also the fact of what the heck else are they going to do? Right. They so, need Martinez. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So so he's going to – yeah, they're going to let him fly to the biggest extent and cross their fingers that they can get more than at least six innings every single start from him. So mm-hmm. with all that being said, I mean, it's kind of funny. This is the year that I'm gravitating to these older volume guys, believe it or not. You know, I just did in TGFBI. I went and got Wheeler and Bumgarner and Price. And now I'm wondering if I'm going to be owning Carlos Martinez probably in the 10th round or something like that. Well, because good, because you need a number two no starter. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I, I don't have a one, so I hope for a number two at this point. <laughs> I, but, uh, but no, I mean, my whole plan, of course, is to just feast on a lot of the guys we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and True. definitely Carlos That's Martinez. That's how we had John for this part. There so if you're in I... Nick's league, do not listen to this podcast. You're cheating. <laughs> yeah, I leave, mean, they, leave. they all know that I have Martinez in the top 40 if they care enough. So it's all good. away from his players. Um, yeah, so, okay, so we share a lot of excitement for Carlos Martinez. Glad that we finally have some clarity on that role. Um, I think he'll continue to elevate as draft season progresses. So do not get used to paying this price. If you really like Martinez the way the three of us do, you better get ready to pay a, a bigger price because that's only going to go up, especially if he performs well in spring. Even if he just looks good, he doesn't necessarily the the results don't have to necessarily be right. there as far as like earned run average. But if he's making his innings counts, throwing nasty stuff, Martinez is due for a jump. You just need one sound bite of someone saying, "Oh yeah, no, yeah, we're really looking to Martinez to get some innings this year." <laughs> like you just need one coach to and say that, over. and then ADP yep. will just jump. And then it's absolutely over. Uh, we've discussed Jake Odorizzi a bit. In fact, I've discussed it with both of you where we had a little bit of a uh, uh, 
disagreement apparently um, based on how kind of the season broke down. I feel like there was this misconception that you know he had that hot start and then faded. He had a middle blip, finished strong. So I've kind of said my piece on on Odorizzi. You could check previous episodes for that. I don't want to get too too deep on on repeating all of that. Are you guys willing to buy him in this range? I guess is what I'll ask now. Justin, I'll start with you. I don't think so. I just uh, I I've got him ranked lower than uh, he's going. Well, I guess maybe not that much lower, but still low enough where uh, I'm going to take shots on other guys. I'd I'd rather take the shot on Carlos Martinez or Mike Miner or Andrew Heaney or Lou. I mean, this whole tier I've got ranked above him. So I well, you can't get Martinez here now, but again by by March draft season they're going to be far apart. So even even guys even and guys in the next tier that we're going to talk about I've got ranked above Odorizzi. Oh, gross. So, okay. yeah, not Yeah, I'm the same way. Everyone okay. but Marcus Stroman. It, it's still it's a it's a year. it's a weird catch 22 with Odorizzi because he did his best work early in the season when they weren't letting him go through the order uh two times, which limits a little bit Only of two times. Yes, but it, it limits a little bit of the win potential if, if he's getting pulled early. Um, but if they let him go late, then he gets kind of beat up sometimes. So I, I'm just staying away from it. Uh, I've never been an Odorizzi guy. I continue to not be an Odorizzi guy. Okay. Uh, Nick, so you're also not buying him at this price because you have other guys ranked ahead too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I do love the fact that his fastball and his sinker last year were both ridiculous as yeah. far as getting whiffs inside the zone. Uh, I just don't know how sustainable it is and also how many innings he's going to get. And uh, I see the other people in this tier, and I kind of see a lot of the same stuff. But having that uh, that ceiling of more um, that Odorizzi, I don't think has. See, I'll, I'll take I'll take my 160 from Odorizzi, and I think I'm going to be really good uh, with him, especially. Um, I think the win potential will be strong because they have a good bullpen and good offense. Weaver and Heaney are the last two here. I think we share um, strong interest, and in, I believe both. Are you a Heaney guy, Nick? Oh, because because no. yeah, that's Ooh. that's a big Justin guy. So, uh, and I think we all enjoy uh, like Weaver as well. And that breakout was coming to fruition last year, and then got hurt and had to be shelved. Did get back on the field one last time in September. I do like that. So we did. Last thing we saw was a Weaver. What was Weaver pitching? So that's good. Um, but let's start with Weaver, Nick. Coming off of that season where we saw some really nice flashes in about 60-plus 60, 60 innings, what can we really expect this year from a volume standpoint, assuming you believe in some of the skills growth that we saw um, and we're expecting quality work in the innings, what does the innings count? Yeah, that's a great question because, uh, well, okay, so you see the Cardinals, what they did with him. And a lot of what the Cardinals did with him was because they were just being coy about it in the way that the St. Louis Cardinals are. Where they say, we don't know if you're a starter. We don't know if we're, how long we're going to let you go. We're going to ease you into this. Th- this whole thing that we had to deal with with Alex, Red- uh, Alex Reyes a bit. Uh, I want to say Alex Reyes. Oh, man. <laughs> I have Eduardo on my head. That's why. I, <laughs> and I, <laughs> We already <laughs> talked about Eduardo Rodriguez. So we didn't give you the opportunity to, to roast him last episode. Well, actually, I am a little bit right now because Luke Weaver and Eduardo Rodriguez are very similar, and except that Weaver is the one that actually has a third pitch that is good and can throw for strikes, while Eduardo cheaper, does not. So, so give me Weaver all day. 
exactly. Um, you know, it, what I'm talking about before about having a, a McPain being someone that you just don't know what to do with, mm-hmm. Eduardo Rodriguez is one of the perfect examples of it because for about four months last year, he gave you about a 4.3 ERA and a mm-hmm. 1.35 whip, and you just, what do I do? Should I be dropping him or not? And finally, he did well for a moment, and it, I guess it rebounded the season, even though he still had a 1.31 whip or whatever, but that doesn't what matter. That's me with Eduardo. But uh, yeah, with Weaver, he's just not so, efficient. Uh, yeah, Weaver has the third pitch to throw for strikes that Eduardo doesn't. So he actually could go through lineups much easier with a four-seamer up, change up down. Should be good. And the Diamondbacks will let him fly. I think there's no real I hard so limit too. here. I don't think that they're going to go crazy on limiting him. If he's pitching well and, and health, healthily, um, I think we can totally see a buck 80 here. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I see it a too. A buck 80? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I, the Diamondbacks I, are going to be competing here. I, I don't. I don't. See but they have rotation depth. Like that. I don't. Uh, I don't think they need to push him that that hard. Like I mean, we we were talking not too long ago about I don't, I don't Zach Gallon question. Think it's a big push. That I think he's in his fifth season now, and yeah, I think it's a I time that they like the they got to keep pushing it. Yeah. I think 180 is. Uh, is really rich and i mean if you think he's gonna go 180 then where where do you have him in your ranks nick i have him in the low 40s oh wow okay and, and i have uh, him around like 40 paul where so. do you have him mid, mid 40s oh wow okay well i mean yeah if, if you guys think he's gonna throw that kind of in total uh then that's where you should have him ranked uh i yeah. i'm a bit more conservative on that i think we're talking buck 50 really uh kind of max um so do you think he gets hurt again because what we're saying is that and if he doesn't get hurt they're going to turn him loose i don't see a relief stint or a a send down or anything like that that's what we're talking about i think we could see him get some spot skip uh or starts uh skipped okay uh to kind of help preserve him uh, and and keep him going. I mean, they still have Merrill Kelly who's going to be pitching out of the bullpen. They can, you know, spot start Kelly uh, in games and, and give Weaver a few more extra days off, especially as he starts to build up innings. Uh, you know, it's it's good to see that his his body mass has kind of gone back to where it was after he put on all that muscle. I think that people forget uh, that changing your body massively uh, can really mess with your mechanics. And I think that, you know, the down season we saw for Weaver before the breakout uh, was largely uh, mechanical issues for him. And and I think putting on that, the amount of muscle, remember that spring training where every, where he was like, mm-hmm. he's put on 30 pounds of muscle or something like that. And like, Oh, that, that, that isn't necessarily a good thing from a guy that lean. <laughs> well, and, and, and some of those, some of those gains, you're like, you can't realistically do that in three months. I mean, without, you, you, I mean, like it, it, it's you so many, can, but, too much, too fast. I mean, a lot of times these guys are doing these kind of weight gains or weight losses on their own. They're not doing it under the supervision of a training staff. They're not doing it under, you know, or, or team doctors and things. And uh, that, that was a huge red flag for me coming off of that brilliant season for him to then change his body so much. Uh, and then we saw kind of some of the repercussions of that. Uh, that being said, I am excited about Weaver. I, I'm no, obviously not as excited as you guys because uh, let's see where I have him in my ranks. But um, uh, I've got him 51. 
So I mean, I'm not too far. I don't think okay. I think the yeah, difference you're not between like aggressively yeah. away from us. But yeah, uh, I and think you could still get them. Yeah, you could still wind up with shares. I, I'm I'm definitely more conservative on the on the innings projection. Anything over 140, 150, I'll be stoked to have, because if he does go 180, that means he's probably pitching well. They're not going to keep running him out yeah. there for 180 if he's, uh, you know, really struggling. So, uh, yeah, grinding and and not pitching right. well. Nick, did you have something else on? on yeah, um, I was curious, Mason. Do you know where you have Eduardo Rodriguez? I have him at. 12. <laughs> I have him at 37. Uh, okay. But. Because I have Erod at 51. I was I would love if you said 43 because that would have been perfect. Because <laughs> then he'd be swapped. Uh, I definitely. Uh, Erod's a difficult one for me. We talked about him last episode. I, I, right, I don't, don't have any shares. Uh, and I don't know that I'll get a ton because of guys going after him that uh, just offer such a big discount at the ADP. Yeah. So, no, I, I I agree with all that. And then, um, so okay, so we all generally like Weaver. Nick and I love him. Justin doesn't hate him, despite being different from us. Because I thought I loved him or at market. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're I still you still can can claim that though because your rank is still going to get him pretty regularly versus ADP. It's like a grade uh, school he's be thing. In that range where you can draft him. Yeah, it's like a grade school thing where you know someone asked me if I, if I'm in love with uh, Luke Weaver and I go I I like like him and you guys love him so yes yes that that's that's accurate now somebody I know you love is Andrew Heaney let's talk about him um, have a hard time <laughs> hard time have a hard time got a 180 innings in 18. Solid season, 415, 120. I like that. Even a, even a, a plus four ERA uh, with the 15 teamers that we play a lot, uh, Justin, that, that plays for us. Mm-hmm. Something to build on. And he kind of built on it last year skills-wise and improved the skills, but he had some dreadful starts that really pushed the ERA up in 95 and a third. He was at 491, 129. Nick, I'm going to start with you on Heaney because I know you like him as well. What can we realistically expect in 2020 now with the health being all over the place and the skills being in place, but now homers really standing out as his one big issue? Can he bring that down and really push his ERA below three in a meaningful sample? Meaningful, I guess, in this case would be at least um, 130 innings, let's call it. Right. Uh, yeah, it, I'm so torn on Heaney. I love him, and I also have to recognize the fact that that health has always been an issue. And because of that health, it's it's made it hard for him to breed consistency. Uh, and that's really the home run issue. It's just inside of starts, there are certain times when he just throws a bad changeup, and there it is, done. And it's so frustrating. I remember actually, I've been, I've been hyped on, on Heaney for a while, and uh, I remember watching game, I think it was 2018 even, uh, watching a game where he just put two changeups on O2 counts or so that turn into three run homers. I'm like, Oh my, you're so close. Like here's a, here's a terrible game now, but you had this, mm-hmm. uh, but there's so much to like about Heaney. His sinker acts like a four seamer. I believe it's in the 90th percentile of spin rate for four seamers as a sinker, which is weird. And I don't understand it, but that's the way it is. Uh, he throws it up too. He actually has, um, if you look at a blueprint of his games, Heaney's uh, sinker, Changeup and curveball all take up different spaces. And I love that. I love complete separation where essentially they play off of each other really well. Uh, if it's going here, then it spreads out to the place you want it to go. And 
having that good three-pitch repertoire speaks to that 14% swing strike rate overall, 11% plus on the sinker. Uh, Changeups are also used as zone pitches, and then curveballs exclusively almost for whiffs. It's all there. It's that blueprint. It's just about consistency, and it's just about health, too. So I don't know if we can really bank on that 160-plus inning season, and it has me pushing down Heaney farther and farther every time. I but man, I really, I really think he can be like a thirty percent uh, strikeout guy with like a six percent walk rate, and then do like a three five ERA. I feel like he could have a breakout, like mm-hmm. more so than anyone in this list. It's just I, I really can't bank on it, and the other things I think are safer. So I find myself gravitating to those. I think what I do like about it though is that he's going around pick two hundred. Uh, he's yeah, an ADP oh, of man, 201. So, so that really allows you to keep that excitement about Heaney and still buy in without getting crazy about it. Because right, even if yeah. you bump him up a little bit to make sure you get him, you're taking him at what, 180, 175? Like that gives you a lot of wiggle room to where even if all he does is throw, you know, 140 innings of a of a 420, 120. You know, that's not your breakout, but you're not you're not sad about that. You're not like Oh, man, I totally wasted this pick. So I do love that about Heaney. Uh, Justin, I know you love him as well. What kind of projection are you putting on him for the for the innings being the most important part, but also uh, ratios and strikeouts? Ooh, uh, my, my total projection, I think he can be like a 28% strikeout guy with like a, uh, let's say, 3-6... Three five ERA uh, and a guy that is like a a one two one one seven kind of whip guy. Um, okay. The question I think I'm juicy. Yeah, like I, I don't I don't think there's a question of the talent. I think there's a one a question of health and a question of usage. Uh, and mm-hmm. because if you kind of if you go kind of dig into some of his splits you realize what really killed him was, like Nick said, throws a bad pitch. But when does he throw that bad pitch? It's typically third time through the order or late second time through the order. And this is one of those things where if you go back and actually watch the starts, uh, which I which I have uh, done on Heaney uh, during the offseason, you see that these mistakes happen when he starts to tire out and the Angels don't have, or at least didn't have last year, the bullpen or the rotation uh, depth to not just kind of push him when he was in games. Uh, I mm-hmm. think Joe Madden will do a better job of handling him. Uh, being left-handed helps neutralize that kind of uh, short wall in right field. Uh, the strikeout uh, upside is evident. I think Heaney is healthy season away from a breakout, and that's a, that's a weird thing to say because obviously he needs to stay on the mound in order to uh, achieve that breakout, but like you said, where he's going right now is an absolute steal uh, for the upside. So obviously, roster right. construction means everything. Drafting a guy like Heaney because you right, can't yeah. take the chances on other guys, especially in NFBC leagues where you don't have the IL slots, uh, and then draft yeah. a guy like Heaney. You can't have three, four types. You know some of the earlier guys who carry risk like that. You know, McC- just guys that we've talked about. Today already, Manaya McCullers, even a Marquez, who isn't necessarily the big health risk, but his home ballpark. So you have to be smart about how you construct your roster when you're going to bring on a Heaney. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I am excited. I, I like guys who are only health away from the breakout yep. because 
sure, we always buy into guys who are skills break. You know, they need to tweak this, that, and the other for their skills. I like when the skills are in place and all I need is health, which I know is a big ask, but it's a lot bigger than saying, well, he just needs to improve his fastball command and get a third pitch, and then he's <laughs> right. going to take off. It's like, okay, well that's, well, that's making an entire pitcher, really. This exactly. is just, please get some health for one year, you know, a, a, another year. He's been, been healthy before, 180, just in 2018 for Heaney. So if we get that health, it's game and uh, I think things would go really well here. So Minor, Martinez, Odorizzi, Weaver, Heaney, that's the 51 through 55. Let's move on to 56 through 60. We've got Mike Fultonevich, Marcus Stroman, Jose Arquiti, Joe Musgrove, and Griffin Canning. Another really eclectic group of guys. You got a, you got a veteran in Stroman. You got uh, some some younger guys like Arquiti and Canning. You got some guys who are kind of in their mid twenties, starting to starting to develop and have shown some flashes like Fulte and Musgrove. Let's start at the top with Fulte. Now he had a topsy turvy year last year. He started off injured and then horribly, and then actually finished pretty well and i kind of missed the boat on on his strong finish if i'm being honest because i didn't have him anywhere and he's just one of those guys that kind of wasn't on my radar when he was closing strong over his last eight starts a 194 era 41 strikeouts 13 walks 32 hits and 46 in the third for fulton nick we saw the uh the breakthrough season in 18 where he was awesome for 183 innings, sub-3 ERA. And then he bounces all the way back this year to what he was in 16 and 17. So 18 looks like a massive outlier. But with that strong finish, he's got people excited again. Can Fulte be more 18 than his career? So, I mean, he went to the minors last year. How crazy is I know. that? You go, you go from the Cy Young year to all of a sudden – not finding your fast or slider whatsoever. The pitch that was this incredible 20 plus P Val offering in 2018 is just lost. So you have to go down to the minors and then you come back for those 10 starts. You have that 265 ERA and all of a sudden your slider is a good pitch again. And hey, things ain't so bad. So I'm seeing unbelievable value right now with Mike Fulton. It's funny. Again, I'm going with like the safer older guys that aren't like you're necessarily your Heaney or whatever in these drafts because I mean, yeah, I do want to get like a Boyd and I want to get um, a Caleb Smith and I want to get like a Joe Musgrove <laughs> and, a, uh, and like a Griffin Canning in there. But I but I find myself thinking, I mean, part of my whole thing about don't draft a pitcher till you know the 10th round or something like that that I would, I would talk about is rooted in the idea of, oh, yeah, Fulton Nevich could be like an SP3 for me. You know, he could be like a 3-5 ERA with a 1-2 whip, maybe even better than that, with like a 24% strikeout rate over 180 innings because the Braves, again, you're going to look at last year and think, oh, he was hurt or you can't trust the innings. No, 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 no. He was in the minors. It wasn't like he wasn't pitching. So I'm trusting him for the year. I mean, he could go 200 this season. Fulte seems to me like a really good option there. Now, I don't expect the 2018 sub-3 ERA because it really is just a slider fastball for the most part. The change of and curveball are there, but they're very mediocre. And mm-hmm. I, it is trusting that the slider will be back, and which isn't, you know, it isn't certain. It was back in the second half of those 10 starts. It was there in 2018, and the real outlier was that whatever was going on that required him to go to the minors. But at the same time, we saw fastball go up a little bit too at the end of that season, and this is going to help your team over a good amount of volume and not be a Toby. Uh, I feel like he's still a step up from that. So I'm targeting Fulte in a lot of leagues. Yeah, like I said, I'd I'd missed that he finished strongly. I was having a conversation about him 
with a with a faulty proponent and he's and, you know he's kind of putting me on of like dude you know he came back from the minors and he was really good and i was like oh okay you know i gotta give a deeper look here so he's gonna move up my rankings a little bit for sure i'd had him uh too low i was kind of parking him um a little bit let's see where i had him uh where was faulty he was at 60 so i'm moving him up from there i'm not uh, skyrocketing him but he's definitely moving up some some spots there do you buy in justin on the uh, the faulty finish there to where he can get back again maybe not to 18 i agree with with nick he's not going back to sub three necessarily but to something in the mid threes with a bunch of strikeouts do you believe that for faulty and I where do. did you rank him uh ooh, that's a good question i believe i ranked him right in oh 54th so actually okay. kind of like right in the this tier and the last tier of guys uh and i do think he's going way too low the the upside is just so great because what we saw in 2018 uh, was a guy that was just unhittable. Um, and then, like Nick said, lost the slider for a little bit, but came back, went back down to the minor leagues, worked on things, got that feel back, and came back up and was very, very good uh, to end the year. Uh, I mean, the one thing you got to caution against is this is a Braves team that will have a short leash. They've got a lot of rotation depth. Uh, on this team, especially with some younger guys who uh, will be ready to come up at some point. And if Fulte struggles again to start the year, uh, he could find himself back down in the minor leagues. So there is definitely a very low floor, but there's also a huge upside. And again, if I don't have a lot of uh, lottery tickets at this point in a draft, I'm definitely going to take a shot on a guy like Fulte over some other guy's well, over one other guy in this tier that is kind of the opposite um, of, of a Fulton Evich. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Fulty, especially at the price. I think what Nick keyed in on is the um, the innings in the minors. If you add those in, that's 168 innings uh, after a buck 83 in 2018. So you're not looking at a guy uh, like Fulty and saying, well, okay. I can't get volume out of him. I think that's one thing that you should feel pretty confident about. I think I think 165 plus is something that you're going to get as we get deeper into these pitcher ranks. You are looking for volume, and something like 160 more or less in the bank uh, becomes an becomes a big positive because uh, you're starting to get a lot of guys who could go the uh, the 120 to 140 range. So somebody who you feel very confident is going to get 160 with the opportunity to push. 190, 180, 190 as Fulty can. I like that. And quality team, interesting strikeout upside. I'm in now Fulty. Uh, I think I'll be buying him at this price. Now we have Stroman or Keaty Musgrove Canning. I want to talk Stroman because I think this is higher than I, any of the three of us have him ranked. Yes. He's going in this uh, round pitcher 57. Nick, where did you rank him? I ranked him at, I think, like 78. Something like that, 75 maybe. Justin, do you lines. know where you had Stroman? So I went pretty aggressively negative. I had him 94th in my rankings. What really concerned me, and I think I, again, I might have overreacted to it. I probably have to trickle him up at least a little bit because volume matters and, and he's a good volume bet. But man, the Babbitt went way up with the Mets. And I don't think that that's necessarily changing because their infield defense is still pretty poor. It went from 293 to 337 um, when, when he joined the Mets for 59 and two thirds. Maybe it doesn't hold that level, but I think over 300 is a lock for Stroman. And he relies on 
um, turning contact into outs because he doesn't doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. His strikeout rate went up a little bit with the with the Mets from 19 to 23 percent, but it wasn't with a a subsequent swing strike rate that really jumped either. So for me with Stroman. I'm probably going to get him closer to where you guys have him, but I think we're all pretty nervous and we're definitely not paying the market rate here. Uh, what are your main concerns with Stroman, Justin? It's the defense. <laughs> it's, and I mean, I think the defense will be better than it was last year in uh, New York for the Mets. Uh, but like you said, it's still not good. And the problem with a guy like Stroman is you need the ratios to be good because you're not getting a crap ton of strikeouts from the guy. So, like, the floor is really bad with that defense behind him. And the upside is, like, eh. Like, I don't think anybody expects him to repeat a 322 uh, ERA. I think most people think that he is kind of a a high threes kind of guy, which is fine if you're getting a strikeout in it, but you're not. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, for that reason, uh, he's kind of boring, and there's a potential for a disaster if, uh, you know, the defense really fails him. So uh, I, I'm probably not going to have any shares of Marcus Stroman this I, year. I thought you were going shark take on us. And for those reasons, I'm out uh, <laughs> on, Mar- on Marcus Stroman. This isn't some I don't blame you. I, 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 don't, I don't blame you. I'm, I'm, out, on, I'm out on Stroman, too. I, it's this weird, um, the weird mix there where I really like the person. Uh, you know, I like the player as, as a guy. Stroman's cool and all that. And I want to root for him. But his his profile just doesn't play that well in fantasy and it's difficult to feel confident in him um, on the Mets. Now I don't have moved him up. I was looking at my updated rankings now from that 94 to 73, which is right around where you guys have him. So we're all in lockstep, but we're all in lockstep quite a bit beyond the market value. So Nick, we've highlighted the defense. Let me, let me key in on that strikeout jump. Do you see any viability there? Because if he could at least, if he could live at 23, that would change the dynamic of Marcus Sherman. Sure. But I didn't see a lot that made me believe that it was anything more than a small sample burst. You know what's kind of funny is that uh, what would you say the the best pitch of Stroman's repertoire is? Right? What is the whiff pitch likely? You would think like, he's so got the a fastball, he's got a slider and a cutter. I would say is the slider. Right. And he threw it about 40 percent of the time with the Jays, and then he brought it to under 30 percent with the Mets. And right. So I don't understand that exactly. Um, I don't like the fact that uh, he had one game under a 1.15 whip in the 11 starts with the Mets just once. uh, Because, again, like, you know, Mason was highlighting, of course, that defense isn't great uh, with the Mets. You think that they actually brought the turf from Toronto to New York. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, and what you're describing, Mason, is a Toby. Um, I mean, that's it, right? Without the strikeout upside, then it's just you're wondering, what are you doing here? Why not just try and stream something instead um, instead of trying to go for this volume uh, of Stroman because you're not getting the strikeout upside whatsoever. So, there, I mean, I do wonder if there is another gear. That's kind of what we've always expected with Stroman is, man, that slider at times can move so much. And it is a feel pitch with him. There are certain games when he really does feel the slider and he gets a lot of whiffs on it. But considering he's emphasizing so much on sinkers and that ground ball rate, it's just not going to ever work. He's not even going to give himself the opportunity to get so many strikeouts because he's ending at bats too soon and then relying on a 300-plus bat up to get there, which probably we could hint up to 320 and higher uh, with a full season with the Mets. So it doesn't speak to a good whip. It doesn't speak to a good K rate. And, hey, maybe it is a 3.5 ERA, 3.6 at the end. But at what cost? 
Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to chase that. If he was in our, if if Strowman was in our ranking range, of the uh, seventy through seventy-five range, I'd be much more inclined to to buy sure. then. But here in fifty-six to sixty range of starting pitchers, can't do it. Can yeah, no. cannot do it. And um, you know, I do worry that it could actually go up because he's a name value guy. A lot of people do like him, and if there is some, uh, you know solid work in spring I think that that's going to push him up further so i i just don't see any shares of stroman on my clubs let's talk about jose urquidy houston you know for all the turmoil they've had uh of their own making by the way there hasn't been a lot of talk about their team um insofar as the makeup and the rotation specifically because the all the cheating stuff is is focused on the hitters and how they're going to perform so we haven't really discussed a whole lot about, you know, they lost an ace, of course, in Cole. Um, they do get a full year of Granke, so they're going to have JV, Granke, McCullers, we already discussed. But then Urquidy and Josh James there kind of at the back end. We'll see who develops there. Urquidy was pretty strong last year, Nick. And, um, you know, I thought he had a good year, both minors and majors, when you add it all up, 111 innings of quality work, was missing bats, not walking guys. Had a little bit of a home run issue, but everything else was was there. Can this 25-year-old kind of a pop-up prospect in Rikidi, can he be somebody that puts up 160 quality innings for this for this Astros team? Are you buying Rikidi at this price? Well, he had over 140 last year. Um, and that's not in, that's including the minor leagues and not even including the, p- the postseason stuff. Oh, I, I um, yeah, I missed the uh, I missed the double A part there. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, is that crazy? Right? Short. I know. Yeah. I, I initially did the same thing too. Is that I just saw the 70 plus the 40. And then there's another 30 plus, and it's yep. what? Wait, hold on a second. I uh, right, you have two starters right now. I'm not even going to say McCullers because that's 120. Like the Astros have mm-hmm. said, hey, it's going to be likely around 120. So you need someone else that's actually carrying a heavy workload. I don't see why Arkady can't go over 170 this year. I'm not saying that I'm banking for that, but that's something to consider. With other guys, we are saying, okay, we really don't think he's going to go over 140 or 100 something, whatever. Urquidy has at least a chance to. Um, and I mean, I can't believe I'm even going to be quoting this, but I, I, I remember during the whole poker craze, I read uh, Super System, Doyle Brunson. And it's something that I think about a lot, which is when you bluff, always give yourself an out. Have yes. some out. As improbable as it is, give yourself an out. Uh, and I do think about that a lot when I'm chasing starters is, okay, is there a chance at least for something more? Of something to happen. Here. I'm not going to pay for that but mm-hmm. i like guys that have that probability of doing something more so the idea that the door is open for 170 innings is enticing with urquidy and his repertoire is is interesting i've called him the mini josh james because he throws softer but he has a good changeup and a good slider like slider was a 22 percent swing strike rate last year yes 106 pitch sample maybe that's a 17 percent, but still that's a good pitch changeup mm-hmm. he has a lot of confidence with two fastball wasn't so i mean it wasn't overpowering but it was good you know it, it did its job and even with that and not even including the curveball which is fine in its own right that's solid and i do wonder if the, the astros are going to let him fly properly um i do wonder if it's going to be six innings or more five inning starts but this is definitely something to be considering here and especially when we're in this tier of uh hey is there something more that can be an sp4 here uh, I'm definitely putting my targets on Akiti. I mean, you know, we've, we've emphasized a lot about these guys versus Stroman. It's not even close in this way. Uh, Akiti is definitely someone 
I have my eye on. He's not as I'm not high on him as I am guys like Keller or Musgrove who are in this tier two. Uh, well, yep. Keller is one later, but still yeah, Keller will be next. the same. But nevertheless, he's definitely someone in that bucket of yeah upside guy. Great, cool. I want to make sure Arkady's part of that list. I like that you mentioned those two, Musgrove and Keller, uh, with Arkady. I'd like to get two of the three. You know, I could even see a team yeah, where exactly. yep. maybe I get all three in, in, if it breaks out the right way. So uh, I'm definitely in there. Uh, Justin, any any additional thoughts or anything contrary to what Nick said on Arkady before we move to Musgrove? Uh, I mean, I'm not as psyched on Urquidy. I've got him lower in my ranks. Home run rate really scares me. I think we're paying a little bit of some inflation because he was just so good in the playoffs. Uh, and, and, you know, and in a short sample at the major league level, I think as uh, teams start to see him more, he may struggle a little bit more. Walk rate is going to go up. Home run rate is going to be a problem. Uh, and I don't necessarily think that we're going to get a huge uh, uptick in strikeout rate from him uh, as well. I don't think the curveball is good at all. I think you should probably scrap it. Uh, personally, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Urquidy. I think, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to have any shares this year. Okay, well, so that I'm glad I'm glad I asked instead of just moving on. So we have a little bit of dissent there on the Urquidy train, but I'm I'm in lockstep with Nick there. That's a guy I'm going to be targeting for sure. Let's talk Joe Musgrove, guy I love. Uh, Nick and I have been talking him up for a few years now, mm-hmm. and like last year didn't quite go as as planned. You know, he didn't have the full scale breakout, but I have no problems with with how it went. You know, it was 170 innings, 444 ERA, 122 WHIP. Not doing backflips over that, but I didn't find anything that pushes me off of him. I'm staying fully bought in. Uh, Justin, with Joe Musgrove, is he somebody you prefer over Urquidy? And where do you have Joe Musgrove ranked this year? What are your expectations for the 27-year-old? Uh, Musgrove's my favorite of this tier. So, I, uh, my, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I've got him at, I think, 50... Uh, I guess I have him right below Fultonevich. That, that's a mistake. I need to push him up of Fultonevich. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, the the overall results, if you just look at kind of the baseline numbers, you might be like, oh, 4-4 ERA in PNC, that's not good. Uh, but the underlying metrics show a guy who uh, is improving. Uh, he looked really good in his first spring uh, outing, which uh, will obviously drive up the price for those of us who are, uh, who are believers. Uh, and there's probably going to be believer in every draft, but I love the fact that he gets to play in that in that large ballpark, and it uh, you know shields a little bit of any sort of home run problems. And so, like the projection systems pumping up the home run rate, I don't buy that. Uh, I think he can maintain or even improve on the strikeout rate from last year, uh, and the walk rate is is great. So yeah, no, I'm 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 on all aboard the Musgrove train. Yeah, and Nick, I, I know you share the same thing. Anything to add about where a breakout could come from this year? Because for me, it seemed like those blow-up starts are what really got him because he pitched very well throughout different parts of the season, but that blow-up would always kind of derail a mm-hmm. good run for Musgrove. And so what is the key to curbing those and getting that ERA under three finally? Because he's, he's flirted with it, but he hasn't quite gotten quite gotten there yet. What, what do we need to see from Musgrove to really believe that we're going to get the, uh, the, the the big season? Oh, man. So last eight starts of the year, he upped his velocity 1.5 ticks from the season average. It was really two ticks in full mm-hmm. uh, to about 94 from 92 
And you can actually see his uh, mechanics. He has a shorter arm circle. Not to the full extent of Giolito, but think of it like that, where he's getting closer out to the ball and not having as much of a coil up with his with his arm, uh, which okay. is great. And that makes me believe in that velocity. It was there in the spring training start as well. Uh, and actually, he had an interview afterwards, which I didn't expect. <clears throat> Excuse me. I... He, uh, I was just trying to jump through to see what other interesting pitchers were there. And all of a sudden, I saw Musgrove talking. It's like, what's going on? And then he said, oh, yeah, so my main priority today was to focus on four-seamers and get the four-seamers up in the zone. Uh, and we have this new analytics department. And, you know, it's different than the other ones. You know, I'm not saying one's better than the other, but they're different. But we're it's better. different things. <laughs> uh, and, and one thing he says, yeah, we noticed that my, you know, my curveball is really going to be up its spin rate this offseason. I'm going to be focusing on that more. And this is essentially everything that we would dream of with Musgrove. I mean, I was going to say, this did you melt seeing right? that? I, I tweeted this out, this video. I couldn't resist. And, I mean, hearing him say, like, I want to focus more on my breaking pitch, that's great. I want to focus on four-seamers and get rid of that sinker uh, and throw it up in the zone. I mean, how is that? That's amazing also with the increased velocity that we saw from September. I'm very much on the hype train. I had him at 44 um, at the uh, during my ranks. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to push him up from there. I was already aggressive on him. But he's definitely someone exactly, I don't need to do that. And he's someone in every single draft I am targeting. Not to mention uh, I didn't even talk about the changeup that had over a 16% swing strike rate, nor the slider that also had over a 16% swing strike rate. He has three pitches over that. Uh, and then also that four-seamer now that has increased velocity and he's throwing upstairs. So it's the blueprint for success uh, and I, I really, really hope that Musgrove can carry it through the year. He could go 180 plus innings this season. There's no reason why he wouldn't. I mean, I couldn't agree with more with that any more than I already do. I've got Musgrove much higher than this ranking. He's going to be on a lot of teams. He's already on a couple. So uh, I think we've set our piece there. We're big, we're big Musgrove fans here. Let's go to Griffin Canning, who um, is somebody who impressed last year in in parts. The one thing that I think we need to make sure that we're still keen on is that he did end the season injured and so health is a little bit of an issue um you know obviously we're get, we can get over that a bit once we see him in spring and, and ready to go and all that today oh he pitches today, today. okay perfect yes. perfect i actually did not know that so that's going to be just a nice marker it doesn't say you know he'll never get hurt again but i like that we're going to get him early in spring okay i did not know that's today so that's good if you're listening to this later than it came out it's wednesday the 26th Canning's going to pitch probably in about an hour. Then, right, those games right, are going to yeah, start around two think. our time yeah. uh, or two central. L- Luke Weaver pitching all. today too. Oh, excellent! Oh, we what got, a we day! Got lots to look what a day! Mm-hmm. Canning's on TV, I think, too. So I'm going to try Perfect. and catch that. Oh, sweet! So I'll I'll start with you, Nick, on Canning because I know this is a guy that that you jumped on pretty early last year when he first came out and really started missing bats like crazy. We mm-hmm. saw a lot to like in the profile: 25% strikeout rate, 8% walk, 14% swinging strike. Homers were a bit of an issue, so the ERA trickled up in that 90 and a third up to 458 with a 122 whip. But the core skills say this 24-year-old might be something to buy. Talk to us about canning and, and how you're feeling um, about the skills. Because the health piece, we're going to get some answers on. You know, we'll, we'll see him today, and then obviously spring will decide how healthy he is. But it, but just from a, if we guarantee that just from a skill standpoint, what do you do with canning? Right. Uh, I remember watching him in his debut, and I'll be the first one to tell you that when it comes to prospect pitchers, I essentially ignore everyone until I actually see them pitch in the majors. And uh, so I I didn't really know what to expect coming into it. 
And I was instantly in love by like the third inning, if even that. Uh, just because he's throwing 94, uh, 95 uh, four-seamers up. And then he has two secondary pitches that he trusts and a curveball and a slider. And we actually, I hear it a lot, like, who's the next Shane Bieber? Uh, I'm not saying that it is canning, but I do call him Bieber light in the way that uh, in 2018, Bieber was throwing a really good slider with a curveball that was a sub-15% swing strike rate, but we thought could be more. And Cannings is the same way. It's a curveball that we think should be better. Slider that is ridiculous. Over 20% swing strike rate on that pitch. And a four-seamer that I think actually has decent command at. Um, it's going to be a little bit different with Bieber, of course. Bieber's main uh, breakout was about throwing it down and away to lefties. And I don't know necessarily that will stick. A little bit different approaches. But nevertheless, I think Cannings fastball is good enough to give him the opportunity to excel if that curveball does move forward a bit. But even if it doesn't, I mean, I think fastball, slider, curveball is good enough to provide value over the innings, even though it was a four, five, eight ERA. As you mentioned, Spore, the home run rate was high, so it was a 122 whip. And whip and strikeout rate are still two, or strikeouts are two major categories, regardless of the ERA. And he still helped you in those categories, 122 and 25% K rate. So uh, I do think the ERA does come down. Um, being an angel isn't great for his health. So uh, we'll see what happens there. I uh, and I'm I'm crossing my fingers. I had to push him down just because of that health, and it's really good to see. I didn't. I've heard nothing about Griffin Canning this spring, like zero. No, literally, literally zero. And it's been kind of scary in that way. Maybe it's just the reporting. I don't even want to suggest that. Um, but I. So it's good to see that he's on the field today. Maybe we'll find out more today and have more comfort. And honestly, if I hear stuff like yeah, yeah, that whole thing is completely in the past. He feels great. Everything's wonderful. I think I would be taking him up my draft stock a little bit. I think I have him in the mid fifties at the moment and I could see him going to about 50 or so for me. Yeah. that I share your concerns about the injury news. That's why I was, and I didn't know he was pitching today. So that's why I was like, we got to see what's mm-hmm. what. So again, having him pitch today is going to be key and I'm really excited for that. Justin, um, with regards to Griffin Canning here, is he somebody that, that you're going to be drafting at this price Assuming he meets all the uh, you know all of his markers this year, as far the spring as far as innings, and that you have the health piece in line, are you bought in on the skills the way Nick and I are? Not as bought in, especially on the command portion. I, I don't think he has uh, the kind of command you guys are talking about. That being said, I do like his repertoire, uh, and if he's healthy, I think he should definitely improve in terms of his overall numbers. Uh, the question is health. It's, you know, he, like you said, he end, he ended the year injured. Uh, we haven't seen him. We get to see him today and see what he looks like. But I'm still going to be very skeptical of him. I doubt I'm going to get a ton of shares. I'll, I'll get one or two just to have some exposure. But I have him ranked 64th. Uh, and I think that's pretty fair considering the way he ended last year. I think he he can he'll tend to be a bit streaky uh, and and give up those home runs kind of in spurts and we, that's what we saw uh, during his uh, debut last year is there there were stretches where he was very good and he was really uh, pinpointing uh, his control but then they then he would completely lose it in starts and give up three home runs to the Orioles so uh, I think that that to me is a guy that I'm 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 likely going to avoid. Uh, in the majority of drafts, depending on roster construction. Okay. So, so actually, you actually convinced me a little bit, and I didn't realize uh, that it really was only 106 innings last year. So even if he is healthy, I uh, like 150. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, something like that. And that to me, actually, I'm thinking about this and I'm saying maybe I should push him to 50. He's healthy, but I honestly probably shouldn't. Shouldn't put him over other guys that I think I can expect 170, 180, even though I love the skill set. So I guess this is my early hype for 2021 Griffin Canning. Now you're going to want him. It's going to be great. For 2021, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right, guys, one last group here. Uh, 61 through 65, Joey Lucchese, Mitch Keller, Masahiro Tanaka, AJ Puck, and Caleb Smith. Lucchese, I believe, in um, in Eno's rankings of stuff and command is like dead-ass <laughs> last or damn right. near in both. And yet, he's got 293 and two-thirds of a 414 ERA 125 whip, which tells you there's a there's a deception factor that those two metrics can't capture because he is putting up some actual results. It's just such a I think it's so interesting that he can be so poor in the stuff in command and yet still have pretty darn good numbers overall because I mean that's what he works with is deception. He even throws a pitch called a churve. It's like a change curve. It's very bizarre. Uh, Justin, I'll start with you on on Lucchese. Are you are you more convinced by Eno's uh, stuff in command rankings that make you run away from Lucchese or do you look at the realized results here and say hey we've got a guy here who is is getting the job done at least to a, a particular degree and at this price is perfectly fair and and the, and you're willing to buy like where, where do you stand on Lucchese I've been out on Lucchese for the majority of his career just because of those kind of metrics that Eno shows uh in his ranks um, that being said, the addition of a third pitch this spring has me intrigued because I think that's one of the things he's been missing. And then you, you add in that third pitch with that deception, and it's a guy that I think can, can really jump, even if, especially if it's something he can lean on. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see. I know he uh, you know threw it a little bit. I think gave up a home run in his first spring training outing. Uh, but I think there's upside, and... Uh, I originally had thought Lucchese was a guy like Lamette who was going to end up in the bullpen uh, for San Diego, but I feel a little bit more confident that he's going to stick in the rotation if that third pitch can come along. So I'm color me intrigued. I don't know if that means I'm going to get a ton of shares because there are other guys in this tier and then the tiers we'll talk about probably next episode uh, that mm -hmm. are more my style, but I'm not out on Lucchese, and that's something that I've uh, been out on the past. Yeah, I've been a bit of a Lucchese guy, and you know, I'll pay this price. Um, I acknowledge uh, the work that uh, that Eno does, and, and where Lucchese ranks in those in those metrics that uh, that Eno likes to use. But again, I see a guy who continues to perform to a, a particular degree that I'm comfortable with. I'd be fine putting him on a team. Now, there's guys I like in this tier uh, that I would get ahead of him, but if he's in this general range and these guys aren't available, then I'll take him. Nick, on Lucchese, um, when when someone's working on a third pitch, what do you want to see in spring to be like, okay, this is a, a real offering? Well, normally I want to see it from someone that I trust their command in the first place. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, I mean, this is the, the talk about like Freddie Peralta adding a slider, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, oh, well, hey, you know, maybe this is it, right? Well, he doesn't have command of his fastball or his curveball. I mean, I can't. I can't bet that he's going to have command of a new pitch, right? So, I so with Lucchese, it's actually kind of funny. I, he he threw it the other day, like a couple times, and just kind of said, "Ah, eh, whatever. I'm just going to throw a jerk instead." And like it wasn't even 
you know, I, I would love to see a guy really use it in those counts and then execute with it, with it for me to feel that he's going to use it through the season. Because think about it this way from a pitching standpoint. Uh, you're testing things in spring training. We hear about guys trying to get a change-up or something every year. Okay, I really want to emphasize this. And if it doesn't work, then it's more about experimentation now because you have the opportunity. But when the real game shows up, you're not going to throw it unless you actually succeed with that in the experiment. I don't see Luke Casey getting that. And, I mean, he's he's not the worst. Like, I have him, I think, at 76 or something along those lines. Okay. Because... I understand that he's still going to have an above 20% strikeout rate. As much as I don't like dealing with his 4-plus ERA and his likely 125 whip. Uh, I mean, 125 whip is actually kind of good, but it's it's just not enough. And I don't really see him getting to a ceiling that makes me satisfied for right? I don't have that 5% chance I'm talking about uh, with the bluffing before. So for Lucchese, it's just not enough for me to go chase. Okay. I don't think that's out of bounds for either of you to kind of have a, uh, a meh outlook on, on Lucchese. And again, it's really coming down to who all is available there when he does come up. Because I don't mind. I really don't mind taking him. I just want to see who's who's out there. Um, this next guy, Mitch Keller, if he's available, I'm taking Mitch Keller. See, but um, the thing about, like, uh, you know, comparing him to Mitch Keller is... In our regular drafts, when we're not drafting with people in the industry, like Mitch Keller will be there with Lucchese. Now, when we start talking about like some industry drafts, like everybody, like Mitch Keller is that wide awake sleeper. Everybody, anybody who listened sure. to Nick at First Pitch Arizona is all over Mitch Keller. <laughs> so, like, yeah, is, you got to pay mean, for that, is, okay? Mm-hmm. This is the online championship uh, mm-hmm. ADP. So, he's, I mean, he's he's lingering here right now. I agree, Mitch Keller has a chance to really push up. Uh, as, as draft season kicks into overdrive in March. Um, so, yeah, like, not always, the, not, definitely not the most fair comparison for Luke Casey to be like, well, I would take Keller. Well, no kidding. Probably going to have Musgrove and Keller before I'm even consider have to consider Luke Casey. But uh, let's talk about Keller proper here. Nick highlighted him brilliantly during his uh, fall league presentation. You really dig into the numbers. If you if you surface stat Keller, you're moving on. You're like seven one three ERA, one eighty three WHIP. This guy stinks. Even forty eight inning sample. But this is such a great example of how small samples can be so weird and bizarre. Because you're like, well, how can a seven thirteen ERA be misleading? Well, maybe because five of his starts were five plus earned runs, and the rest of them were two or fewer. He was elite or terrible. Nothing in between. Very bizarre. Nick, when you were studying Keller. Um, what did you see that that led to some of the the, the failings in those poor starts that uh, that wasn't there when he was dominating? Yeah, he just needs to throw fewer fastballs. Uh, okay. It was just not. It, it really beat him, and it was kind of crazy. It was even inside of starts. He would have a six run first inning and then shut down the next three innings. You know, one, two, three in each of them for nine straight outs. And I, I can see him, especially with this new Pirates organization. I. Uh, Focusing, hey, let's not throw that four-seamer as much. You still have the velocity, and you do have a tendency to go upstairs with it, which is good. Uh, but let's throw a slider that you had a 27% swing strike rate with and a 51% O-swing last season. That might be good to do a little bit more. And actually, he he's starting right now, and I'm seeing a gift circulate already of him throwing a beautiful curveball for a strikeout. Obviously, small sample in spring and whatever. I don't. I feel weird even mentioning that. But it is cool to see, okay, right, he also has that curveball on top of it to turn two and two strike counts as well. So 
I also see a guy that can go 180. He threw 150 last year. Um, that's really good. And that's that's something we're talking about with like versus canning of rights. Canning, we're hoping for 150. Keller, if things go right, could go farther. So yep. uh, that you have to give him more of a preference because of that. Uh, it, but yeah, it's similar to canning. Kerbal, if it gets better, uh, slider's already dope. Uh, this is another Bieber light situation in that respect because you're looking at one pitch to improve. I think the fastball, I think, is going to be better. I mean, he had a 475 BABIP overall last year, which is hilarious. And then you look at the the fastball, 591 BABIP on 447 thrown. That is, I've never, I mean, I, Spore, you and I have, like, joked about bad pitches before. I think, like, Chad Cool's changeup was the most famous one. Yes. But I, I, I have a soft spot for, like, notoriously terrible pitches in a, in a time frame. 217 WRC plus for Keller's four-seamer and 100, 450 thrown. It's not going to be insane. that bad. It just won't be. So I, I think there are adjustments that can be made, and uh, I think he has the blueprint for a lot of success. All right. Well, well said there. Uh, Justin, you acknowledged that, that you saw uh, Nick perform, uh, present on Keller, and um, – did it, did he sell you? Are you bought in? Yeah, oh, I'm I'm bought in. I already have shares. I'm gonna have more shares. Uh, I think Keller is, like I said, a wide awake sleeper. I think he's he will not be in this tier when we get to next month. I think he's going to be probably two tiers up. Yeah, so definitely. get your shares now because it's gonna become much more expensive. Uh, you know, the other thing we want to talk, you know, definitely want to mention though, is that Keller has dealt with injury issues. So just, you know, be careful, uh, about overpricing him or, or really, you know, if you see him jumping up in drafts, like don't, don't go crazy. Um, but I, I do think he has quite a bit of upside, uh, to jump up three or four tiers in terms of overall production. All right. I think, I think we're, I think we're in lockstep there. I agree. Don't get locked in on this price. Keller's definitely a, a potential riser, um, and and Nick and and the industry that agrees with what Nick has said is going to be a big part of that. I I agree. Masahiro Tanaka is a big name down here, but I think the market is actually treating him pretty fairly and not over overpaying for the name, because you look now and in, in two of the last three years haven't been that good as far as uh, fantasy production. He's always good for WHIP, even his worst WHIPs one two four. Uh, are are solid, but now two of the last three years, 4.45 ERA or higher for Tanaka, and then the big strikeout dip last year is what's concerning there. So Justin, with Tanaka, I think he's fairly priced, but is he somebody that you would buy in this range here? And more importantly, I think, do you see the strikeouts returning? I think they should tick back up. I mean, he's working on uh, kind of refining some of his mechanics and pitches. Uh, in spring training, I mean, the question about Tanaka is like, how healthy is he? It always seems like he is dealing with something that he pitches through, uh, which causes problems. And then, how many home runs is he going to give up in New York? Uh, I think maybe, maybe because uh, he came over as an import, people think he's a bit older than he is. He's thirty-one, uh, so like, I don't think he's extremely old. Just not a guy that. I think he's kind of boring at this point. Like, it's just... Yeah. Usually at this point in the draft, you're going, I want the upside. And if you kind of look at the rest of the people in this tier, it's all upside guys. You know, it's... Right. Uh, and I just think he presents a boring... Uh, 
uh, kind of profile and I don't have a problem with going boring at this point in a draft, but there's actually boring guys going after him. I, uh, I, I want more than I want Tanaka. That <laughs> <laughs> so feels like a weird thing to say. No, I, th- I, th- I think you kind of nailed it, though, that, that he is a bit boring at this point. And so it's like, eh, okay. You know, uh, there, there are going to be some times where he fits. You look at him like, oh, this is the time to take him. But I don't know. Nick, do you have anything to add, uh, particularly with regards to the strikeout rate dipping? Can, can it come back up, or, or are we at a new level here with Tanaka? Yeah, it's a little bit weird. I, it's just about that splitter, of course. I mean, you've heard it a million times, I'm sure. He had a 14%-plus swing strike rate for years, and then sub-11% last year because that splitter just disappeared. And I remember watching that July 25th start against the Red Sox where he allowed 12 earned runs. Um, which if you take that, I yep. mean, it's so super unfair to, to do this, but even if you take that out, he's all of a sudden a sub four ERA guy for the entire year. So 30 out of 31 but starts, it, he was sub four. I know what you're saying about it being a, but it's worth looking at just to see the makeup. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, I game log a lot and it's not that they don't count. It's to get an idea of how this, this ERA was made. Yeah. Okay. That's a great point. Uh, so yeah, it would be a sub four ERA then without that 12 run run and, 3.1 inning game. So it, it's really in like in that game, his splitter was just gone. So he had to try to sneak in fastballs and sliders. And I broke down the whole thing. I spent 30 minutes or whatever. I have like one of the rare videos I have on YouTube of me doing that. Uh, and it was just hilarious because you could actually predict everything because it was so telegraphed about he doesn't have a splitter. So what else can he do? He's going to try and do these one of two things. Mm. Uh, and it can be really frustrating. But if he does have that splitter and he kind of did get a feel for it by the end of the year. He also had loose bodies removed from his elbow. Um, So there may be something there that says, okay, his splitter is back. And that's actually, it's interesting. I'm with you, Mason, in that I'm grouping him with a lot of other boring guys. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go after other upside guys too. At the same time, I, I think to myself, wait, I can treat him like an upside guy because at the beginning of the year, we can see, is his splitter there? And if it's not, then we just get rid of him right away. We're not going to hold through the entire season with it. And then if it is, well, he has that upside of being a 25% plus strikeout rates with actually good ratios, uh, So especially with the whip side. Um, so there is something there, um, but I am still ranking him in the middle of the 70s. Yeah, that I seems that, about that, right. That all works out with regards to Tanaka. Let's move on to AJ Puck. We've been we've been told Puck and Lazardo are not going to have a, a firm innings limit. I've, I've mentioned repeatedly. I think this is just smart of the A's not to anchor on a number that they can't work off of. Now this gives them the freedom to kind of maneuver around. Granted, they're not going to just let these guys push 200. I, I don't, I don't right. believe that. I don't believe anybody really believes that. But it is nice that uh, that they're smart to say, okay, we don't want to get locked in here. And uh, I, again, I think that's the right move. To that end, though, we do have to kind of pin down what we do realistically expect from A.J. Puck. So, Justin, I'll start with you. On the young lefty, um, you know, he only threw, what was it, 22, about 36, 37 innings last year. So it was a small sample. He missed all of 18. So what can you realistically expect from Puck from an innings count standpoint? Oh, uh, Probably 125. Is where okay. I'm gonna land on term of volume of innings. And I mean, it's funny because you look at the projection systems; they're all over the place. As low as 67, <laughs> as high as 147. 
<laughs> so yeah, I I think the like the 140 seems very aggressive and the A's are t- traditionally not aggressive and like I mentioned with Manaya, the A's have rotation depth uh in order to kind of limit some of their guys and they've got a bunch of guys with concerns too in terms of how how fast do or how long do they want to push guys. So I could see him, you know, heading back down to the minors uh, mid-season or, you know, an IL stint or, or just pulling him from outings or skipping him. Uh, so it's going to be a bit frustrating. You know, on the good side of it is his ADP is in an area where you can take that gamble. Uh, and because, I mean, the, we saw in that first outing in spring training just how good uh, he can look. Um you know, in kind of, you know, short spurts and uh, see that upside. Uh, that being said, I think that was probably the worst thing that we could have seen uh, from him in terms of keeping that draft value uh, fair and at bay because I'm actually going to check it, uh, what his ADP has been in online drafts over the last like uh, five days or so um, just to see. Uh, of course, I should do it for 2020 and not 2019. Uh, that would make things uh, a little bit easier um, because sure, sure, I think a little pe- bit more accurate. Yeah, I think people. Uh, well, eh, you know what hasn't actually gone up very much at all. So, 214 ADP over the last five days uh, in online or online championships, 180 men. Uh, I think that's very fair. So, yeah, I, I actually feel like that's actually a good. Manaya, uh, not Manaya. Um, Lazardo's been really pushed up, but Puck I think has been treated more fairly, almost a, a little bit underrated. So I'm more inclined to buy by Puck because uh, the price is so much cheaper. I love Lazardo, and I, I'm I'm good. Not I don't think I'm going to get out of draft season without one Lazardo share, but with Puck I feel like I can have multiples because I'll take my 120 to 135 innings and. And, and run with it. Nick, uh, you're chomping at the bit there. Uh, champing at the bit, I believe, is the, the proper way to say that, actually. You can, you can chomp a, or you chomp. We, we, you can do whatever you or like. Or you can chimp. It's all good. You can chump at the bit. <laughs> so you're chomping at the bit over there, too. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm chomping at here. the bit. I, no, I I mean, he's a McPain. Uh, it's, it's a case <laughs> where I just don't know when I'm going to get my innings from Puck. Are they going to do a hard stop with him? Are they going to have him in relief? Are they going to start him this week? How many innings is he going to go? Is it? It's. I, I'm excited about Puck. I, I really, as you know, you know me. I just love all pitchers and want them all to be dope and all that kind of stuff. And then, like, I see Puck and he's got the hair and his sidewiding and he's blowing it past guys. He's got a great slider. They struck out Chris Bryant with. I mean, all that stuff is so exciting. But as a fantasy owner, it's going to drive me insane, and I don't want to deal with it. In my drafts, I mean, I have him at uh, right underneath 70, the one underneath that. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's – oh, you didn't pick up on that. That's fine. It's the, the one, one underneath that. Yeah, so which at, is – You have at a very nice ranking. I do. There you go. 69, yeah. I thought better of you. Uh, wouldn't, it be the, sorry. wouldn't it be the one above that technically? I you guess. 70, the one underneath. I can get what you're yeah. saying, but – Yeah, I rank, know. It, I never know how to say it. What do I do? (laughs) Anyway, I no, I don't want to derail us. Continue. (laughs) I was was going to derail us big time on something. Um, Well, with Puck, I just 
Yeah, I, I, we talked about a lot of these guys. I mean, uh, we have Keller here. We have, I'd honestly be okay with Tanaka because I would know what to do. And especially in a 12 team, I know we're talking about 15 teamer today for the most part. Uh, but with Tanaka, at least like in April, I would know to cut him for something else. And I could see a season where you're, you're saving the entire year for 120 innings out of AJ Puck. And that's, I don't know if that's enough out of that roster spot. No, that's and, fair. That's not even a guarantee that it's going to be an ace as we kind of imagine him to be. You know, what if at the end it's like a 3-8 ERA with uh, with a 1-2-3 whip and a 24% K rate? That's great. Or, but Or, or worse. I mean, like, yeah, there, yeah, there are no guarantees here on Puck. You're definitely taking a gamble, and the innings are certainly capped. Right, So yeah. I, think, I think everything that we're talking about here as far as, like, being careful with him – I think that's why the price is where it's at, which I like. And and, and sure. it seems like the market's actually being smart about him. But I don't want to derail because uh, we've already talked about him. But like, I do wonder why Lazardo then is so 100%. Much yeah, I'm kind be- of because I feel like, why am I in on Lazardo? I shouldn't be. Lazardo's upside is much higher and his uh, floor is higher as well. Like, as much as I love AJ Puck and the stuff. I think I agree with that. I okay. Well, that that I think much that's fair. On both of those, I think much on both. I Lazardo's command is much more advanced and refined than AJ Puck, and while and I and I think the stuff is overall better too. Uh, I think so. I while I think there is a high upside for AJ Puck, and we saw that upside in his first uh, spring outing, and we saw it. Uh, in limited work in the majors, I mean, we have we don't want to forget too that this is a guy that you know before getting to the majors last year, you know, gave up home runs in the minor leagues. Uh, he has command problems at time, uh, and that could be disastrous for him. So I think you know, and especially if you're working on a limited innings count, if some of those innings are really really bad, it, it ruins his whole season. It's fair. Yeah, I mean, Lozardo has a better repertoire as well. Sure, sure, um, sure, sure, but, sure, it, sure. But the thing, I, I, mean, I, just, I was thinking the same thing with you because 140 innings is all I'm going to expect for Lozardo. And that's yeah. the same argument. It's a McPain. It's just, when am I getting them? Is he going to go down yep. to the minors? Okay, he's sent down to the minors. And Do they, I hold on to him? And Do I not? could shuffle yeah, it around you're right. to where they're bringing him back. Bassett, Bassett is there too. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and bullpinning the, the, the two young bucks a little bit to get them just, to the finish line. Because they have big plans for their season. I don't want to deal with it. I, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm also, also someone, I mean, I'll be talking about this in Florida, just about streaming pitchers. I'm someone who has a roster construction ready to drop guys. Like, we're talking about Canning, we're talking about uh, you know, Keller, we're talking about Musker. If that's not going well, I'm just going to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go and cycle other guys. There were 20, I think I have a list of 26 guys that all provided p- value past pick 300. Um, I mean, we're talking like Miner and Soroka and Freed and Odorizzi and uh, Lance Lynn and Giolito. And there's so many that were all waiver pickups last year. And there's no reason like you're missing out on all those opportunities. You have to give yourself the chances to get those. And if you hold on to someone like Puck, maybe it could even be Lozardo. You're not getting as much as you can out of that roster spot. Both That's of these guys, you, you know, kind of piggybacking on what Nick just said. Both these guys need to be format specific. I I yeah. really do not love the both idea. Both the Oakland guys, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Both Luzardo and Puck are format specific. I really don't love taking them where they're going necessarily. 
in NFBC League. So if we're talking like NFBC centric, where you don't have an IL, where the roster crunch right. is for real, uh, it's really hard to roster those guys because, like Nick said, like you don't know when those innings are coming, uh, or when those shutdowns or slowdowns or skips are going to come. And in weekly formats uh, where you don't have a lot of roster flexibility, these are going to be guys that are very, very frustrating. Uh, now, in traditional home leagues where typically you have larger benches, uh, IL spots, or even minor league spots, uh, a little bit more flexibility in your roster or daily moves, That those are the spots where I'm going to grab Lizardo and Puck and, and kind of hope for the best uh, and hope that I can use replacement value to kind of fill in. Uh, so it, it's really format specific, and I don't know that we mentioned that with Lizardo uh, when we talked about him previously, but I, I definitely feel that way on both these guys. Yep. I, I think we've we've highlighted the risks with these two young Oakland lefties, and you have to be careful. You have to understand. And one thing that we like to impress upon as well, you mentioned format specific, manager specific too. If you're not ready for that, if you don't, if you don't mess with that, if you're not like Nick and you can cut guys, you get too emotionally attached and you got to hang on to them forever. You keep a Kyle Tucker all the way until August because you're like, this has to be coming. Then maybe you don't take some of these guys. You, you got you to gotta know your strengths and weaknesses as a fantasy manager too. I think that's really, really important and something to highlight there. So if this is something that's going to make you agonize and just not have fun dealing with it, then take Tanaka over Puck because at least with Tanaka, you know he's gonna when he's healthy, he's going to be out there every fifth day guaranteed. So um, I, I do think that knowing all those factors is really important. Let's end with That's a guy we've it, never right? talked about There's on no, this show. Yeah. There's no other guy. What are you talking about? No, no. Something one last guy. We've hold never on. I'm, call, I'm, I'm calling Alex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not man. actually calling Alex. Caleb, yeah. Caleb Smith. Um, yes. Minor discussions on this show. <laughs> Just a little bit. Never heard of her. Uh, no. <laughs> Who even is that? So Smith's going to come in. Um, I think he's actually being pretty well well priced by the market too. Like there isn't this over the top push for him. He's got a two thirty ADP. He's down here as our sixty uh, fifth pitcher, so he's going to range probably between sixty and seventy depending on on where you're at in a draft. Nothing wrong with that. Obviously, we, we highlighted in our in our discussion, Nick, uh, how we felt about him with regards to when he's on, he can really show some quality work. The homers remain an issue for me. That was always Justin's big thing last year, too, when he and Alex disagreed was that here come the homers. And he started off really nicely, kind of keeping the homers in check. But then not only did regression hit, but like they punished him for like, hey, we gave you those extra starts without homers. Now you're going to go all the way to the other side. And yet he wound up with a 1.94, which even for somebody who I think is worried about Caleb Smith that still feels a little bit high with half your games being in Miami but he's got a career one seven so um where where can we be Nick uh, again we had our discussion when he's good he can be really good you can't plan for that the whole year though how does he avoid falling into the trap of the home run issues creeping up again and pushing his DRA north of four what's yeah, the sure. path to the sub three or to the sub four ERA, I should say. Yeah, it, it's kind of nuts. Uh, so he had that injury, um, essentially 11 starts before it of a 15.6% swing strike rate. And then after when he came back, it was underneath 11%. Uh, mm -hmm. He lost a full tick of velocity from 92 and change to 91 and change. And it, it's a case really, honestly, if you go for Caleb Smith, you're like, okay, is the velocity there? And is he missing the same amount of bats? 
Uh, it's the same thing I'm talking about with Puck, where I'd rather have a guy like Smith where I can know early on what's going on. Right? Is this a good thing? Is it bad? Is he doing what I want him to do or not? And when you're missing more, like 50% uh, fewer bats, so actually 33% fewer bats, uh, you're going to allow more home runs then. So, And you're throwing a worse fastball, which is something that was able to get a lot of swing strikes, but then it stopped getting them. And that's really the main difference I see. Obviously, that hit injury is the one that separates really the two sides of, uh, of Smith here. So I'm hoping personally that he's on the other side of it now. But honestly, I mean, it's something that I'm very – this is one of those guys that I'm intrigued in spring. If I'm hearing good velocity numbers, that will make me feel a little more confident. I know we don't talk about spring a lot. The spring numbers don't mean anything. But if velocity is there, that is something that would make me more encouraged to go after Smith early and see how that goes. Home runs will still always be some sort of issue. I am surprised to say that um, to see that he still had a sub 125 whip, despite uh, despite all the home runs. So again, even if it is a four ERA, you're still likely to get a 25% plus strikeout rate and a whip that's hovering 120. Um, I've which talked is about. Be sad. I've talked about how guys like that can get underrated. We we don't we we overrate the the opposite a, a sub four ERA with a crappy whip that's over 130. But the guys that are like just over four, maybe four and a half ERA, but a good whip, they get buried. Musgrove was the uh, poster boy for that. And so that's a good call out there that, okay, maybe you plan for some ERA pain with Caleb Smith uh, due to the homers. But you get some guys who can cover that a little bit. You get a quality whip. You get over a strikeout per inning. Okay. You know, again, it's all about the the staff construction too. Guys can fit in certain pieces and to where you don't even need them to be at their best. They're offering something otherwise. And I do like that about Smith is that there is something that he can offer, even if the ERA does hover in that 420 to 450 range. So I I make the argument that you won't even deal with that. It's it's like he had a 34% strikeout rate when he was cruising, you know, 16, 15 to 16% swing strike rate and a sub one whip in that time and with that extra ticket velocity. And the thing is, if he's not acting close to that, then you won't deal with him for the full year. Right. Like you'll get rid of him. You'll move on. Yeah. Right. So you won't. I don't see this being like an undulating season of like ups and downs. I feel like it's going to be either he's got it or he doesn't. Especially because you're not getting a lot of win potential. Right. So it goes sideways. You you get three, two homer games in a row. You jump. Right. So it's Uh, not I don't don't see a K per nine outcome if you own him through the year because you won't stay with him. Okay. Okay, that's fair, uh, Justin. Again, you've you've had your uh, your your qualms with with Caleb Smith. <laughs> My profile. victory lap, and and it ended up being a victory lap, yeah. Because initially you were getting smoked, and it was looking bad for you in late May when he was striking everybody out. Had a three ten ERA, quality whip. The injury struck. He came back, and boy, like I said, all hell, hell broke loose when he got back, and you wound up as as the as the victor there in your little debate with with Alex. But what are you seeing in an encore here, if we can assume a measure of health, right? Because I think the injury did play a big role. I don't know that we're necessarily going to get that help, but, but let's work from that. Let's not say, okay, he's going to get injured again and fall apart. If you can say that he's going to pitch healthily for 165 innings, what would you then expect from Caleb Smith? Mm, I'm I'm fairly <laughs> in line with uh, ATC, which is like a mid-fours ERA. Uh, you know, you're going to get the strikeouts. I don't think the ERA is going to be great. I think the whip will be okay. Uh, 
I don't love the idea that the Marlins decided to move the fences in. Uh, you yeah. know, the the one thing they that... wanted to help Lewis Brinson, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my boy. That's He's it. That's back. Uh, so, like the the one thing you could kind of rely on with Caleb Smith was, hey, he was kind of the anti Herman Marquez, where like you could pitch yeah, him, at, him at home, you could start him at home, and then spot him on the road. Uh, I, I we don't know what the dimensions are going to do to that. The dimension chains in Miami are going to do that. I mean, I can't imagine that they you know, really are going to, like, be super drastic with, with the moves uh, in uh, on the fence. But I, I think we're going to see kind of almost like a repeat of last year, which wasn't great uh, overall. So I'm, I'm, I'm staying away. I just think there are safer options uh, than, than Caleb Smith in, in this area and below. Okay. Well, so you're still out. Um, yep. And so you're still going to be the the bane of Alex Fast's existence. <laughs> well, that and, uh, that being said, too, like the the price attached this year is nothing. So like see, that, like like Nick, like Nick like Nick said, like this is a guy that you can take a shot on late in the draft, and if it doesn't work out, and I believe they are home for their first uh, first two or three series. So like uh, yeah, so they're home the home versus Philadelphia, home versus the Nationals. Um, in their first two series, uh, and then on the road for two series, and then back at home for two series. So, you know, four of their first six series are at home. Uh, so I think that gives you a real good barometer of what we can expect. And like Nick said, you you can cut bait if it if it's bad, uh, but if it's good, then you can kind of ride it until the wheels fall off. Yeah. I think that's all. That's all pretty fair. I think that's going to be a a bow on this episode here. I think we kind of stayed right around that uh, that two hour range that we were looking for here. So we're going to cap it with these guys. Nick, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I felt, figured this was a great tier to have you in on because this is kind of your wheelhouse where the uh, where the core of a lot of your rotations are going to be built. And uh, frankly, we could have gone two, three more tiers if we had the time, and it would still be a bunch of guys that you probably love going on after this. But um, what do you got planned over there at Picture List? Well, first of all, thanks again for bringing me on. I mean, it's super fun doing this stuff with you guys. Uh, yeah, we have our fantasy ebook, 700 plus pages. It's for everybody uh, who signs up for Picture List Plus that allows you to hang out with us on the Discord and get our exclusive live chats uh, and you get an ad free version of the site. So definitely go check that out. It's a gorgeous ebook. Um, but I'll be uh, I'll be coming out with my top 100 shortly. Uh, shortly, shortly. Oh man! Uh, and obviously, be doing our first pitch podcast. I think we're starting that in like two weeks or so. Um, that's the daily morning podcast, 15 minutes, just going over mm-hmm. everything uh, through the entire season. So we're really excited about that. Love it. Uh, and Justin, you guys have the Friends with Fantasy Benefits draft guide out. Where can people get that? And what are they what, what? are they getting? Yeah, you can get that on Amazon in uh, a regular book, eight and a half by eleven, and it's four hundred and seventy seven pages in the eight and a half <laughs> by eleven version, which I believe uh, goes out in the ebook to about twelve to thirteen hundred pages. Um, Ridiculous. So, or you can get the PDF version uh, by emailing me justinmasonfantasy at gmail dot com. Uh, it's got the ATC projections and uh, auction values associated with them. Uh, the team previews, uh, prospect previews done by Matt Thompson, who was on Sunday's podcast uh, and works over at Prospects Live. 
yeah, it's I mean it's huge. It's well worth the price. Uh, and this week, if you uh, buy the PDF or the uh, paperback, uh, you're entered in to win a free shirt from Rotoware. Gonna do that promotion again. Uh, and it. gonna announce that uh, today, uh, probably after this podcast, that uh, uh, we're gonna donate a portion of the proceeds for the rest of the week, uh, and actually whatever we've made uh, earlier on in the week uh, to the Ruthie Lou Foundation, which is a foundation. It's really important to me. Helps uh, uh, parents who've lost babies uh, in their grieving process. So uh, a really good organization. So we're gonna donate uh, some of the proceeds uh, from our draft guide this week to that. That's a, that's a great cause, and I know that the Black Book is involved in that as well. Uh, had Joe on the show yesterday discussing that. So, guys, if you are already going to get these uh, these wonderful tools for fantasy purposes, now you have an even better reason because you're contributing to charity along with it. So, uh, that's a great cause. Well done there, guys. I want to thank you both so much for being on. Great talking pictures with you, both of you, and uh, we'll be talking again soon. Guys, have a good one. Uh, Nick, take care. Have a good time in Florida. Justin, you and I will rendezvous again next week.